Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast, where we have a big explosion sound effect right at the start. There it is. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic. I contribute to Slash Film. With me, as always, is my far more intelligent co-host and far more uh, well-spoken, far more successful, far handsomer than I. William, why don't you introduce yourself? Because I could never live up to that. My name is William <laughs> Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. I write for the rap. And um, remember the early days when the explosion sound effect was actually kind of a big deal? Like, like it was actually yeah. like, ooh, we have an explosion sound effect. Well, we should we, cut uh, to it. It'll make it seem like we have production value. Uh, production value. And we had like a cute little catchphrase. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, we, we that's sort of just sort of fallen by the wayside. We just don't care anymore. Is We're here for the movies, really. And we're here for you. Uh, this week on Critically Acclaimed, we got a bit of catching up to do. And in our defense. Well, uh, not not through anything we did. No. Because we've done this already, actually. <laughs> yeah, a week ago, we actually had teamed up, and we had reviewed a whole bunch of movies for last week, and then Whitney left, and then I was like, okay, great, I'm going to get a little sleep, and the first thing in the morning, I wake up, edit it, put it out, and then I find out the audio was effed. Somehow it got corrupted. It was uh, really we, we bad. It was completely really unusable. S- swimmy sounding yeah. and bad. It's nothing I could be. Nothing I could do. Rare and that this kind of technical error happens. And it's happened like twice this year, so I'm really going to be extra careful from now on. Mm. I want to make sure this doesn't happen again. Uh, but yeah, so basically the whole episode had to get junked, and then by the time we could reconvene, we kind of had to move on and do some other podcasts. So we're going to double up a bit. Yeah, and there's going to be a lot we, uh, of reviews on this episode of we of uh, of critically acclaimed. We got to review uh, the the semi new releases. Well, la- last week and this week, so yeah. they're all new releases, newish. Some of and them, and this is the end of the summer. Yeah, where like just a lot of low profile films are coming out. Stuff they don't have a lot of faith in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so here's what we're reviewing. We're reviewing the new films Three Thousand Years of Longing, which is rather a lot of it. Uh, the Invitation, Samaritan. Me time, I came by, honk for Jesus, save your soul. I like that there's a period in the middle of the title. There's two periods in it. I, yeah. I like that they used correct punctuation, because they nice? never do in film titles. Uh, burial, and a film called Gigi and Nate. Mm. Uh, you may have heard of those, some of those films. You may not have. This is the podcast oh. for you, because we're going to review them. I'll, I'll say this. Uh, being a film critic is a, a bit wild. Uh, when you're catching up, you have to watch whatever's in front of you. I guess. When and, you said uh, it was a bit wild, I was imagining us, like, like the chugging Playboy down mansion. bottles yeah, of yeah. vodka while like, ra- riding a, a robotic buffalo and, like, saying, like, Chinatown's <laughs> overrated! Woo! <laughs> Superheroes are copaganda! Uh, wild. That, that's, no, just, uh, it means that when you're watching multiple films, you'll often have to see two in a row, and they might not always go together. Yeah, they might be completely hmm. random things that just happened to be distributed around the same time. Yeah. So yeah. Um, th- this week I saw uh, two movies that were v- diametrically opposed. Hmm. One was a sweet, loving film about a relationship between a man and his monkey. Okay. And the other one was about Adolf Hitler's corpse. Oh, God. So, yeah. We'll, we'll get to those in due course. So, it's going to get weird. Uh, and why don't we start off with a film that, sadly, I wasn't able to see. 
Uh, because I was broke, so I couldn't end up going to see 3,000 Years of Longing, but you did. I did, I saw And this is, a new film, this is a new film from George Miller, uh, who uh, had recently directed uh, Mad Max Fury Road, a post-apocalyptic car chase thriller that dominated the Academy Awards. That's how good it was. I think it got nine nominations or nine something. Nine nominations it and it won a bunch yeah. of tacticals. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it, it was like a... That doesn't happen for action movies. Like, you might get sound especially, effects editing. Especially not, like, a, such a strange, wild one as that. Yeah, yeah. so George, and George Miller had previously won an Academy Award for his animated film Happy Feet. He's best known for co-creating and directing the Mad Mad... Uh, the Mad Meh. The Mad, Mad Max films. For that, that TV show, Mad Men. Yes. Uh, and he's directed other things as well. He directed The Witches of Eastwick, which is a really, really great horror comedy. He will not talk about it enough. He directed Babe, Pig in the City, which is arguably better than the original. Uh, he's a really, really excellent filmmaker. Um, yeah. Uh, he's he's an ambitious filmmaker. He does... He, he likes to go for, like, really... He takes really wild swings in all of his movies. Um, I haven't seen all of the Mad Max films. Really? Which ones which one have you missed? Uh, I haven't seen Mad Max. Oh. And, and I think I owe The Road Warrior another watch. I watched watched it once under duress and was just sort of like not enjoying myself at all. Was that like a clockwork orange? You were just tied to the couch and they were like moistening well, your eyeballs? It was, one, you... it was one of those cases where I was at the video store and mm. I'd like I forgot how it come up. it had come up, but I said I hadn't seen... It was like in my mid thirties, and I hadn't seen okay. the Road Warrior yet. Yeah, and it was the clerk's like favorite movie. It's like you have to see the Road Warrior. It's really really important. Or I'll revoke your membership. It's like okay, well, thank you for the recommendation. I'll come back another time. No, you're getting it today. It's like, <laughs> like no, I don't need it. No, you're getting it. Like he forced it into my hand. It's like if you don't give me like a report and love it, yeah, then you're not allowed to rent here. And like, yeah, and that can that charmingly confrontational way yeah. that video store clerks used to espouse kind of deliberately. We, we, Netflix never really does that. They can be kind of forceful with their recommendations, but you we never feel like socially it, awkward saying have, no. Horrible if you like hit play and it plays like a minute. It's like, no, you're not watching this. You're watching Stranger Things. There's a great right. sketch on Kids in the Hall that I think of whenever I think of that kind of retail experience is... Um, Guy going into a record store and he's kind of interested in checking out the doors and he tries to buy a greatest hits album and the guy who works there gives him the the, the business. It's <laughs> like get a greatest hits. Here's album. what you're gonna do: you're gonna buy Waiting for the Sun, you're gonna put it on in your car, you're gonna drive nonstop until the album is over, <laughs> then you're gonna get out of the car and, and start a fight. What's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, what he says is, um, what I need you to do. Steal a car. Even if you own one, steal a car <laughs> and drive it until it runs out of gas and then get out and start a fight. Yeah. Shouting, Viva la doors! That's a Bruce McCullough sketch. It's a great yeah, It's a really wonderful. It's a great uh, I would love to see that dramatized in a George Miller movie. <laughs> just the video store experience that, that, yeah, that, like, that nuts, yeah. Yeah, like the, the guy actually takes his advice and just like steals yeah. a car and listens to the doors the whole time. Anyway, the Mad Max movies are great and the first Mad Max movie I actually didn't see for a really long time because everyone told me Road Warrior is better. Okay. And so I was like, okay, I said I need to see Mad Max and I finally watched Mad Max Mad Max is cool. It's a very okay. different film. Mad Max is actually a pre-apocalyptic movie. Like it's set like while society is collapsing, like in mm. the middle of the movie over the course of it, and that's surprisingly effective, especially when you see like where it went. Yeah, like re retroactively, it's even cooler. 
Yeah, um, I, that's a good film. That's a good yeah, film. Road Warrior is better though. That's true, but that doesn't yeah, mean I Mad like, Max is bad. Road Warrior is so fucking yeah, Ro- good. I, I think Ro- Road yeah. Warrior might be one of those because th- it was knocked off shamelessly. Oh just, yeah, uh, all, all across film history. It's and one of those load bearing movies yeah, where like I mean, if you remove it, like a ton like, of film this, history like, this, makes this, no this sense. Enti- this entire like chunk like, of like this whole subgenre drops out. All of these movies ripped off a boy and his dog. Really? Like no, they were ripping off Road Warrior. I like a boy and his dog. That's a great movie. Boy and a dog is the road is the Road Warrior without any car chases. No car chases and a psychic. Dog. And a psychic dog and uh, a, a young man who is like desperate to get laid in the post-apocalypse. Played by Don Johnson. Played by Don Johnson. It's actually a really great movie. And, and, really and, it, and it has up. a yeah, pretty fucked up ending. The I, ending's I like fucked. The, I love like, that The ending is really good, but it's fucked up. Road Warrior piff. It's too clean. Um, <laughs> it's very dusty, actually. I suppose so. Uh, I, I, what I remember about the Road Warrior is that like a... Uh, one character is like flying a gyrocopter. He's like yeah. flying some yeah, rudimentary like machine, a, yeah. and he's like dropping snakes on people. I remember that <laughs> that part. Um, uh, little else has stayed with me about the Road Warrior. It's a good uh, film. You should watch it again. Sometime. Recently, like. only recently, uh, you and I watched uh, Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah, you hadn't seen it all the way through. I'm, I think I had yeah. never seen it, and, yeah. um, and I I liked all like the second half of the movie where it kind of explains where we are in this world. Like what happened to those kids who got like, you know, stranded on a crashed airplane. Yeah. Yeah. See, like you're, was... Almost no one prefers the second half of that movie. Well, the first half is just boring action stuff where they're fighting in a, in a, in a, like an arena and I'm all this, gonna... you know, overstuffed design. If stuff. you just want to say it's just action stuff, even mm. that I don't entirely agree with. Mm. Bore you thought Thunderdome, the Thunderdome part of Beyond Thunderdome like, was boring. Like they're like bungee jumping inside that big dome. That's it, fucking it was, awesome. It was pretty pretty stupid. I'm not saying I didn't say it wasn't <laughs> stupid. I just said it was awesome. Mm. I, I love I, that scene. That I, scene kicks ass. What are you doing? Uh, so Wendy and I are very I, different people in some ways. I, 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 I don't. I'm not so warm on the the Mad Max movie. So maybe yeah. maybe that informs. Uh, how I feel about 3,000 Years of Longing, which I'm not too high on. Okay. Uh, 3,000 Years of Longing, uh, this is sort of George Miller's carte blanche movie. He was given, yeah. uh, just allowed to do whatever he wanted Fury after the Road success made of money Fury and, Road. That, and awards, uh, you can kind of that do was whatever his, his last feature film as a director, so this is his follow-up. And uh, he just, he is trying to tell a story uh, about storytelling. And... There's something really frustrating that happens when uh, a filmmaker tries to tell a story about the act of storytelling, because Mm. in order to convey the fact that storytelling is sort of this important human impulse, you can't tell a really complex story to illustrate that. The story within the story always has to be simplified. Yeah, the story within the story is usually a kind of a really oversimplified, really kind of bland fairy tale. Often is the case. And that's frustrating to me, because Mm. stories can be far more inspiring than that. And I feel like that's the case with something like 3,000 Years of Longing. Uh, Tilda Swinton plays a scholar. She's uh, traveling in Turkey, and she is giving uh, lectures on uh, sort of like monomyths, the the Joseph Campbell stuff. Yeah. and uh, Myths where people get a little sick. No, it's not. the kissing they do. Not a mononucleosis myth. Okay. Which is good, because that's real, everybody. Okay. (laughs) I had mono in high school. It was not fun. Have you read Joseph Campbell? Did you read Joseph Campbell? In I high have school? read Joseph Campbell. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure he had mono too. Yes, I'm it's sure not. He did. A, it's not uncommon. He and Bill Moyers were just making out. <laughs> I didn't put it past him. That, that sounds hot. I'm, I'm with it. Look up the power of myth. Look up the mono myth. Yeah, look up yeah. Joseph Campbell. This is yeah. all storytelling stuff. If but seriously, film, mono is real. No. Uh, um, the mono myth is this notion that uh, a, 
all of Earth's cultures do tend to hover around very similar tropes and characters throughout their mythic yeah. history. If and you look uh, at, if you do a, a, even a, the the most baseline compare contrast hmm. of most of the earliest, most primal myths in various cultures, there's a lot of running themes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so he, he yeah. came, came up with this, uh, he read a lot of ancient myths and a lot of ancient stories. He came up with a kind of a, a structured idea as to how a lot, the way a lot of stories have operated historically. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with this because uh, at some point screenwriters started noticing mm. that uh, screenplays function very well when you apply these ancient storytelling tropes. Yeah. So they actually include a lot of elements. Uh, I think The Wizard of Oz and Star Wars are cited as like the most common examples of yeah. films that tap into that. They that just have a great hero, hero's, hero's journey, journey structure. Thing. Yeah, you can, and we did. Mm. We even did a podcast where we we had a podcast where we were talking about the prehistory of Star Wars. We called it Star Wars Episode Zero. It should mm. still be available on our feed. Um, we did it's a an good episode. Podcast. I was very proud of that. I podcast, thought we did a good yeah. job with that. I actually thought that was a good idea. We we cut it out. I think we did about twenty episodes, and one of them was about how the Wizard of Oz and Star Wars have a lot of similarities. Star Wars took a lot of ideas from the Wizard mm -hmm. of Oz, and they both have a lot of similar inspirations. Yeah. And that was and, a really and, good episode. Yeah, and that's that's actually something the Tilda Swinton character brings up in Three Thousand Years of Longing. And our podcast, long... that's amazing. Yeah, she she talks about us. She mentions that's us nice. by name. She she looked right out of the screen and looked right at me and said, "Thanks for coming." Hey, uh, Tilda. Thanks. <laughs> I know you're listening. No, she talks about how, um, uh, and this is something you hear a lot in, in sort of modern comic book criticism, how yeah. superhero characters are sort of distant echoes of ancient myths of, of gods and magical beings. Some more than others, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, the people who created those comic book characters, you know, read all of those old myths. There's, you know, familiar. Oh, yeah, I mean, with, there's, there's you know, Thousand and One Nights and all that. I mean, Superman um, comes a lot from the from uh, from biblical Moses, stuff. Yeah, yeah, Moses in particular. Yeah, the the, the, um, the orphan child lost in the reeds, raised yeah, the, by different people, finds his powers, becomes a savior. Yeah, yeah. Kal El, his yeah. his alien name is actually Hebrew. Um, yeah. Uh, the idea, and then Tilda Swinton, yeah, she's giving these uh, lectures, and she's seeing these mysterious visions of, like, mm. ancient figures appearing around her, and they're, like, kind of glowing. Uh, while she's shopping out in uh, Turkey, she finds a little glass bottle in a, in a tchotchke shop. She brings it back to her hotel room. Mm. She tries cleaning it off. Uh, it breaks open, and wouldn't you know it, a genie comes out. A djinn. Mm. Yeah, specifically, yeah. Uh, and... Played uh, by Idris Elba. Played by... The, the djinn is played by Idris Elba. At first, he's like 30 feet tall. Like, he's hunched over in the room. And then yeah. he, she fight, figures out that he can speak Greek. They end up communicating. He watches TV for a few minutes, learns English that way. Just like Apocalypse and X-Men Apocalypse. Yep, just watches TV and yeah. learns English. I wonder if we, I wonder if he watched X-Men Apocalypse and was like, oh, that's how, how ironic. <laughs> so, this is what I'm doing too, Oscar so George, George Miller is, is clearly uh, inspired by uh, Thousand and One Nights and X-Men Apocalypse. Those, so those two, two equally, things. Those yeah. are the two pieces of literature that loom large in his imagination. That second one might have uh, been a mistake. <laughs> uh, the djinn implores this scholar uh, to make three wishes. And, mm -hmm. uh, and Tilda Swinton says, hang on. No, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And the djinn says, WTF. And she says... Uh, that she has not read, she's very well read, she's read yeah. a lot of these ancient stories, and she knows that every single story about getting a wish is a cautionary tale. Yeah. So she refuses, and he says, well, let me tell you a story about my life thus far, how, how I have come to be imprisoned in various vessels over the, over the thousands of years, yeah. and I'll explain to you why I need to, why you need to make wishes. Yeah. 
So he tells her stories of how he fell in love with the Queen of Sheba thousands of years ago and how a jealous magician imprisoned him. He tells a story of uh, being trapped in a bottle underneath like a, a tile when he was hidden away and then the owner was killed and mm. the sun was raised and they found the bottle again and just lo- long elaborate tales. Mm. And uh, that's like the first, and then the third tale is how he fell in love again, and uh, about from a young woman who wished knowledge, so he just sort of stayed in a study and taught her and taught her, and he fell, they fell deeply in love. Uh, the Jin is actually a very human character. He has you know prone to petty jealousies and falling in love and a lot of uh, dangerous impulses, but mm-hmm. at the same time he's also a servant, mm-hmm. just like in, in Thousand and One Nights. And uh, the the story doesn't go precisely where you think it's going to. It's not about how Tilda Swinton uh, will eventually be coerced into uh, asking you know, for wishes. It's not, it's not like leading to an ironic monkey's paw. Yeah. Like, yeah gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Which I think if it had, it would have felt like cheap. It's like you didn't need all that time to that, that, spend that, it. Actually, that feels more like a Tales from the Crypt Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, at that or, point. Or, yeah. or one of those like this was clearly a short film and they just expanded it. Yeah. Uh, it actually does go some to some unexpected places in the third act uh, where it's not about Tilda Swinton making a wish, but how uh, she and the djinn have actually started to spend more time together and have a little, a little bit more of a bond. That's nice. Uh, but at the same time, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, I just heard the odd couple theme in my in my head. Tilda and the Jin falls on NBC. I'm not really I'm not really impressed with this movie because I'm not really sure what George Miller appears to be getting at, other than stories are neat. And do you disagree with that thesis? I. I don't disagree with the thesis, but that's not a really interesting thing to say. Uh, if you're into ancient storytelling, if you know, like, the Epic of Gilgamesh, uh, then mm. you can sort of put together that human beings are, at their core, a storytelling species. It's something mm. we've been doing for thousands of years. It's just sort of inherent to what we are as beings. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that we've established that, what are you going to do with that notion? We tell stories... How does that function for us? What is that doing for us? How does the need to tell stories change over the thousands of years? Or has nothing fundamentally changed? Mm. George Miller tries to is trying to essentially get me high on the notion that stories are kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think... I, I, I don't think he's really kind of getting at any kind of interesting thesis on that. So there's a lot of really elaborate, interesting visual stuff going on, but at the same time, I'm waiting for him to kind of get to the point. And he doesn't really. It kind of meanders. Mm. It, he, he seems to be... Every time Every time, phone. yeah. Sorry, I keep getting, the, keep getting the buzzes. So popular. I can't help it if I'm popular. Uh, no, but I, I ended up leaving kind of disappointed. It's like, I, I saw a lot of this elaborate stuff. I was waiting for him to really kind of come to uh, some sort of, sort of conclusion. He didn't. He almost staunchly refused to. And I'm not sure if that was the point. But if it was, it's not satisfying. I'm trying to think of other movies that have been about storytelling, mm. specifically. 
there aren't as many as you might think. And often, you're right, oftentimes I find them insufferable. Mm. Uh, there's a movie called Paris When It Sizzles with Audrey Hepburn, which mm. is so cute. They have to write a screenplay in a weekend. And every time we come up with a scene, we, we imagine it acting out. And Audrey Hepburn's in it again, even though she's one of the mm. writers. And it's like, I, I get it. You're very clever. Mm. I'm not interested. There's something very <laughs> false about it. But every yeah. once in a while it works. Uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare is a great example. Yeah, yeah. That's about how stories can contain and uh, give life to our baser impulses or fears. Mm. A movie I like a lot more than you do is A Monster Calls, which is about mm. how stories uh, sort of teach us important life lessons in terms of like how to handle... Uh, co- coping mechanisms coping mechanisms and... tragedies uh within our lives and that that movie wrecked me like nobody's yeah. business yeah, well, yeah. but I, I think the reason i didn't respond to a monster calls the same way you did is mm. for that very same reason he the the monster tells stories but these are like very simple mm. video game fetch quest kind of stories well, you know, a knight the, goes and gets an object and falls in love but and those he are, dies the, and, but know, the question the stories have unexpected morals at the end which mm. i find is a part of the challenging bit but also i think it's worth noting that in that movie the stories are being told to a child yeah someone who maybe needs fables or parables yeah. well, in order to impart life lessons whereas here we've got tilda swinton who is more learned and mm. maybe you would expect a more complicated presentation from the idris elba character yeah, um, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just throwing it out there as a possibility. The, uh, well, if, if you're going to go to a, a story that uh, a movie about storytelling, uh, where the stories are being told to a child as mm. sort of a coping mechanism, I would go to Tarzan's The Fall instead. Oh, okay. They're going to say it, the Princess Bride for a second. Uh, Princess, it's also good. Princess Bride is a good one as well, yeah. and and I feel like that's like two stories going simultaneously that kind of mm. play it. I think that's kind of clever. Yeah. Uh, I think new nightmare is very clever. Mm. Uh, I like the fall because the story actually alters depending on what, uh, the storyteller is going through and he's mm. actually suffering from pretty severe depression and how that's being passed onto the child kind of unwittingly. So I've I think actually, there's something going on in that movie. I've actually never uh, seen the fall and oh, I'm frustrated okay. because it's not streaming anywhere mm. and it is wildly out of print. That's such a pity. I keep expecting Criterion it's, to put it's it out. Really one of the more, it's, everyone loves it. it. It's I think it's really well written, but it's also one of the most gorgeous movies you'll see. Just every Tarsem clip I've ever is, seen yeah. is like, holy crap. Tarsem just does mm. the music video thing. The same thing he did with the cell, but mm. the just sort of writ on the same level. If you ever want to see uh, uh like three hundred meets Clash of the Titans, but it looks a million times better. <laughs> Look at the Immortals. Uh-huh. That movie is absolutely bonkers, but it's so fucking cool. There's <laughs> so much cool shit in that movie. Oh my god. But yeah, but the, the this. But yeah, I feel like um, George Miller is skewing a little too far in the Monster Calls direction, where he's just trying to treat storytelling as this bromide unto itself rather than acknowledging the fact that stories serve a very important function and who's telling them and why is actually more important than he's getting at here. Bummer. Like he explains who's telling the story and why, but it it feels, I don't know, just a little too calculated for me. Well, let's talk about another movie. And this is one that you and I both saw Mm. uh, that uh, is also about uh, a myth, but it's about modern myth. We talked Mm. about how superhero stories uh, take a lot of inspiration from myth. And mm. here we have a film called Samaritan uh, oh, from the director of Overlord. Is that Julius mm. Avery, I think his name is? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a, hang on a second. I think 
it's Julia Savory. Anyway, uh, but it's about... Uh, yeah, Julia, yes, Julia Savory is the director's yeah. name. Uh, but it is about a world in which there were only two superheroes, and they both lived in a place called Granite City, which is, you know, very... It's like naming it Stone Place. <laughs> Just like, yeah. Anyway, uh... There were two. There was there was one superhero, one supervillain. One was named Samaritan, one was named Nemesis. Nemesis did bad things. Samaritan did good things. They repeatedly fought, and before the start of the movie, many years prior, they fought to the death, and have not been seen since. We pick up uh, in the present day where a young boy, uh, like uh, early teens, he's like he's like eleven or twelve. Yeah, yeah uh, played by Javon Walton. Uh, he's Living in a rundown part of town, his mom is a nurse, but they're struggling to make ends meet. They're always behind on the rent. Uh, and uh, he is very interested in Samaritan. He does a little graffiti mm. of the Samaritan logo because he's such a big fan and he feels like the Samaritan is still around in some way. And he's one of those people, it's like um, you would read in the tabloids that Elvis was still around. Mm. Some people believe that Samaritan is still around somewhere and he's just in hiding. And he begins to suspect that his next-door neighbor, a trash collector played by Sylvester Stallone, is actually Samaritan all along. Mm -hmm. And he seems to be right, because it turns out uh, Sylvester Stallone's character has superpowers, and is not it saves the kid's life when he's attacked by gang members, and it's a whole thing. And sure mm -hmm. enough, it turns into basically the superhero version of Finding Forrester, where this kid has found a superpowered person in hiding, and he reads to keep his Try secret, but he wants to know more about superhero stuff. And also draw him out a little bit. Like, yeah. the world is bad. Because the, they do a good job of... Uh, and this is a, a pretty light movie. It's PG-13. So yeah. this is, like, a, a pretty run-down, mm. crime-ridden city, but in a sanitized kind of a way, a movie In a PG-13. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it does a good job in that after-school special sort of a way yeah. of showing that uh, this young boy has very limited op options. He's very impoverished. His mother needs to borrow money from him to, mm -hmm. uh, to, to I think, to take the bus to work. Uh, just things are really tight for them. Uh, Dad is out of the picture. And uh, he one of his only options is to essentially turn to uh, criminals. Yeah. Some petty criminals, and there's uh, for a second it's almost like this Oliver Twist thing where it's a little bit exciting for him. Yeah, where, he's, okay, he's, he's, he's asked to petty, uh, petty theft, and yeah, he gets the he's hold, asked to hold be the a door, Yeah, hold the door open while we like, go heist. Go into this liquor store. Here's a ketchup packet. Make it look like you've been hit on the head and need medical attention. Mm. So the guy leaves behind the counter to come take a look at you, and while he's behind, and when he leaves, we're gonna steal all the lottery tickets. Yeah. And we're gonna and we're gonna use them, and sure enough, some of them will be winners. And that'll be a great, a great, a great boon for our criminal enterprise. Uh, and uh, that but seems to be doesn't work that way. It's not I, uh... no, because he'd have to get him actually like checked in at that liquor store, and he'd know mm. it doesn't really work. But anyway, I so like it doesn't seem like that bad. It seems like it's not good. Mm. It's not to be encouraged, but he's not really part of the life. But. Sure enough, he's got pluck, he's got gumption, and the leader of the uh, crew, a really great actor named Pilau Ashbeck. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He is a Danish actor who was in... He was uh, Euron Greyjoy in Game of Thrones. A lot of people saw him in that. Uh, but even better than that, he was in an Oscar-nominated film a couple years ago called A War, uh, which is about uh, a bunch of uh, Danish soldiers in the Middle East who, in the middle of a firefight, call in an airstrike... 
and the airstrike ends up leading to civilian casualties. And then months later, they are being asked to justify every spur-of-the-moment decision that they made. That mm. seemed like the right thing to do at the time, yeah, but in retrospect, yeah. you can blow holes in a lot of it, and it seems like they made a bunch of wrong calls. It's, it's, it's a very about, complicated story. It's, it's good. Compli- it's about, sir, yeah, the, the, the morality of war and how morals kind of turn off in wartime decisions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or yeah, it's, or really, how it's really... difficult to keep any sort of context available. You're just thinking yeah, about yeah, saving yeah. your life. You, mm. you the long, the larger ramifications don't really occur to you when you're under fire, and yet you're responsible for those ramifications. And there's that is both fair and unfair at times. So it's a really complicated story. It's one of the better modern war stories, if you ask me. So I really like him a lot. And he is much like the kid is obsessed with Samaritan. He's obsessed with Nemesis. And here's where the movie gets interesting for me, mm. because the whole thing with Sylvester Stallone as this like retired hero, trying to put it past him bonding with the kid. Oh, that's fine. It's a little formulaic, mm. but it works. Sylvester Stallone's really into it. Like it, it's kind of like his Rocky shtick. And he just it, knows how to play it really well. I, th- I think the actors and the director are, are playing playing it straight in a good mm. sort of way. So it doesn't, yeah. even though it is trite, it feels fresh. It, it, it I doesn't feel fresh, it just feels like they're at least committed to I it. I don't mind that this is a genre film that has a formula. Yeah. It does it well. So I don't really care that this is a little familiar in some regards. The thing that it does differently, and I, and I wish they'd done even more of it, but it's in here enough that it's really worth complimenting, is that uh, Pilau Ashbeck's character, uh, he is a huge fan of Nemesis, but to his mind, Nemesis wasn't like a villain to be aspired to, like, yeah, bad guys, mm. we're going to kill people and it's great. To his mind, Nemesis was the real hero, because to his mind, Samaritan, the superhero, was just a cop. He was just preserving the status quo, and the status quo only favored the rich and other people of privilege. Whereas Nemesis only caused trouble for people who deserved it. People who needed to be taken down a peg. He never punched down, Mm. according to this guy. He always punched up. So while he may have broken laws, in his mind, Nemesis was the one who was ethically correct. Mm. And over the course of the film, we'll we'll see more conversations about just how difficult the morality of heroism is and where it goes is kind of interesting. But that right there is something that I kind of miss. There's an element of superhero stories that I don't think we we focus on as much as we used to. And while you don't need this to tell a good superhero story, it's something that too many people have just sort of pushed to the side. And that is the idea of a dual nature. Mm. Oftentimes this takes the place of a uh, sort of a secret identity. Yeah. I want to have a normal life, but I also want to put on tights and beat people up who I think are morally yeah, worse than me. Spider-Man like, and Batman do that the most. Nowadays, uh, Spider-Man, the, Spider-Man and Batman are the heroes in movies who are allowed to have that the most. Mm. So if they made more Superman movies, that would be part of it as well, but they don't really <laughs> right now, which uh, they, sucks. They don't, <laughs> and, and uh, yeah. I remember... Uh, it's like uh, Superman was Clark Kent and yeah. uh, Lois Lane found out who he was in like a montage. It's like, yeah. there's no secret anymore. And to be fair, I actually liked that because it made Lois Lane seem really smart. Like, yeah, she's which, a good, good investigative reporter. That fit. But... And they implied at the end of Man of Steel that after that, she would be the only other one who knew. Yeah. And I'm like, cool. And then we just sort of didn't tell a good Clark Kent story after that, which mm. had to be about all this bigger world building stuff. Like, can we have one more actual Superman movie, please? But anyway, um, so we lost a lot of that duality of, of someone's nature, but we're also not always focusing on the way that characters represent dual ideas. A hero and a villain of a piece will have dramatically different concepts as to how the world works. Mm. Great example of this is The Dark Knight. 
where the Joker is a being of pure chaos, mm. and Batman, to a fault, mm. is a being of pure order, to the point where he is actually doing some pretty fascist shit towards the end when it comes yep. to <laughs> uh, uh, basically breaking the law in order to monitor everybody mm. for his own purposes. And the movie to, has to, a complex conversation keep, about that. Keep the peace the way he sees it. Um, exactly. Uh, Samaritan isn't as complex as all that. No, uh, not, no. In fact, it's actually pretty pretty Saturday afternoon. It's it's yeah. good for like a 10-year-old. Uh, yeah. But it at least has the wherewithal to incorporate that kind of uh, questioning of superhero morality. Mm-hmm. Which is more than a lot of other superhero yeah, movies do. Yeah, most superhero movies, uh, and, and we talk about this all the time, are the morally absolute world. Heroes yeah. versus villains. Heroes and villains do the same thing. Mm-hmm. But we're okay when heroes do violent things because that's all in the name of righteousness. And we know it's in the name of righteousness because the heroes are the ones doing it. It's yeah. kind of that uh, circular reasoning. Vill- you know, a-, a villain kills a bunch of people on a battlefield. That's bad because they're a villain. Yeah. Iron Man does it. Yay! Iron, Iron Man does it. It's a cheer moment. What a, like, yeah, what a he, martyr. He, he, he sacrificed himself to murder thousands. What a wonderful guy. Yeah. Uh, so I appreciate whenever a, a superhero movie brings that up. Mm-hmm. I don't want to oversell Samaritan. It's actually no. pretty simple, but I ap- deeply appreciate that there is at least uh, the questioning of morality, mm-hmm. views of heroes and villains being alterable, and a, a fun twist ending that plays with that. Yeah, it works. Uh, and th- I, I kind of guessed where the sh- where the movie was going really early on, like, yeah, yeah. like really early on. But I, what I will say is this. I actually don't find that to be much to the film's detriment. Mm. The idea that, oh no, I know the twist ending and now I don't need to see the movie only works if all the movie has going for it is a twist ending. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas a good twist ending is supposed to recontextualize that which you came before. Mm. So while you might, if you guess a movie's twist ending early, mm. okay, so you've been robbed of the first film where you didn't know it. You still get the second where you do and if it functions well enough, yeah. if, if the revelations of whatever happens in the final act uh work within the context of the story Mm. that film should still work so while i think they tipped their hand a little earlier than they should have regardless uh, i actually think the movie works just fine i think thematically it works really really well um again stallone's really really good the villain's really really good uh the action is solid for the low budget quality of it um this is an action movie, but it doesn't have a ton of action. It actually feels a lot more like a 70s Bronson movie where it's really more of a character piece. And every once in a while, there is a shootout. Yeah. And it's like this. So like every it's This is really just kind of a character thing. And every once in a while, Stallone gets to beat up some guys in an alley. And, and uh, that's fine. Yeah. I, don't need a, um, I don't need a ton of spectacle <clears throat> all the time. I, I appreciate that. I've seen enough Stallone movies to know when he's not there for it. Yeah. He's not always going to... In fact, he's probably only there about half of the time. Uh, I've seen him sleepwalk through far too many films. Same. Uh, he... And you can tell when he's committed. I think he's committed here. Yeah. It's actually really interesting. He does the physical stuff. He's actually playing the part really interestingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it's not like a Rocky tier performance, but yeah. he's... He, a few he's, actors he's, do world-weary as well as Sylvester Stallone does, I think. And he's I think, been doing world-weary since the mid-70s. He's been doing since Rocky <laughs> one, And you know what? He does it really well. Yeah. You get a sense just from looking at him that he has taken his lumps. And that he has learned from it, or at least tried to. Mm. And so he has something to impart on others. One of my favorite scenes in the original Rocky is uh, when Rocky... This is at the beginning of the movie where he's still totally a bum. 
Mm-hmm. Like he has never done anything with his life. He's working as a lo- a guy who beats up people for a loan shark. And there's a young girl who's like, you know, just a teenage Hellraiser or whatever. And he's trying to do the right thing by walking her home in the middle of the night just because mm-hmm. she sees that she's like on her own and like, you know, it's New York City. people, Or it's Philadelphia, sorry. It's Philadelphia mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. It could be bad. I'm going to walk you home. And he tries to like be a good, responsible adult and like say, hey, you're young. Don't make too many mistakes. And she's like, fuck you. Whatever, what have you done with your life, Rock? <laughs> and Rock is just like, he's... Fair enough. <laughs> like he just feels bad about it because he tried to do the right thing, but he's not equipped. And Stallone's good at that. That's that's what Stallone does, maybe better than anyone else out there. So he's very well cast here, and I think he does fine. So yeah, I like this movie. I don't love this movie, but I think this movie is really good. I think a lot of the people I've seen critique this movie are basically saying this is the kind of superhero movie they made before we started getting a bunch of good superhero movies and i'm like that doesn't mean it's that's, bad that's just a that, genre yeah that's just it's, like a, it's just a style really well it, um i think a, a big um problem with a lot of the modern superhero films is this slavish devotion to mm. uh myth arc and world yeah. building and interconnectivity uh, that's the selling point of most of these superhero movies. Is, is, yeah. uh, you know, you'll, you'll see one show or one film. Mm-hmm. You'll know there's a possibility that those characters will appear in a future yeah. installment. If you freeze frame this mm-hmm. shot from She-Hulk, you'll mm-hmm. see that they coyly reference Wolverine in a newspaper headline. Yeah, there you go. Like, like okay, that's cute, but that's just... That's that's a puzzle but, to be solved. That's not that's not a story really. And and, and I like She-Hulk. Wouldn't, but let's be honest wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if that if that's if that's all it were? Like this tantalizing notion that there might be a Wolverine. No, yeah. now it's a promise. Now we yeah. know it's a preview for a Wolverine that's going to come in. Uh, and you know that's sold the genre very well for a long time. But after a while, that stops resembling the real world, yeah. and the stories become all about their own machinations. It becomes about the interconnectivity. It becomes about how these characters are going to interact later. Mm. And we lose sight of a lot of the humanity. Mm. We can't, we're not free to tell wider human stories like we do in Samaritan. We can't play with the, the morality of superheroes because yeah. it's too deeply codified at well, this point. Well, it's not point. just deeply codified. It's like there can be no ending. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Samaritan has an ending. Like, theoretically, this was super popular. You could tell another Samaritan story if you wanted to. Mm. But it's actually confined yeah it has a point to make it makes that point over the course of the film the finale of the film puts a little button on it and makes you challenge your your assumptions and then it's over and it's made its point Mm. you you can do that (laughs) it's okay you don't have to make it gigantic you don't have to build a world you can just tell a story that happens to have a superhero in it and stories don't always have to be open-ended yeah so yeah i like samaritan samaritan hit a lot of my buttons in terms of just like i miss being able to tell stories like this even if they're not necessarily the greatest versions of those stories but this is definitely the kind of story we should have in the toolbox when people feel like telling a story like it and i think this is a reasonably well-told version it would be nice if we could get a story like this with a familiar character and whatever anyway uh, tell me about the invitation. Oh, the invitation, um, which has nothing to do, sadly, with the Karen Kusama film. No, there was a Karen Kusama. Karen Kusama made a really excellent, a very horror adjacent movie in mm. tw- 2015 called I, The Invitation. I think it's a horror movie, but it's a very intellectual horror. Movie. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's not. A, it's not full of murder. It's full no, of tension and, and dread. It's, yeah, it's about a, a dinner party that very slowly turns into like that cult initiation. It's really, really great. Yeah, um, and you're not sure if things have gone really, really bad. Hey, this guy never showed up. Is he dead? Yeah. <laughs> because I didn't think so at first, but the way I 
everyone's talking, I'm starting to wonder. And it could just be a guy being paranoid, or it could be all really, really horrible. Mm. That movie has an amazing ending. It has a great ending. Yeah. See that movie? It's so um, fucking good. Uh, this the invitation sucks. No, what is that? Because it's a vampire movie, or <laughs> oh well, you just ruined the twist, haven't you? <laughs> Weren't you going to uh, tell me about the twist? Well, I kind of have to because it's included yeah. in the advertising. And if yeah, it's in the advertising, it's fair game. I call uh, that the Terminator Genesis effect. Where yeah. you, there's a twist, but it's like it's so early in the movie, you can't advertise the movie without telling people about it. Because otherwise, there's no motivation to see it. Yeah. Other yeah. version of this was Red Eye. Where if you sold yeah. Red Eye without the twist, you would just be like, Rachel McAdams gets on a plane. And uh, and she falls in love with Killian Murphy, and they have yeah. a sweet sweet date together. Yeah, but then, but then the twist happens like 30 minutes in. Mm. So you can't really keep that from anybody because they're just going to be pissed that you ruined their rom-com. You know, and only well, some we, people uh, are going to be into that. We've now alluded to two Wes Craven movies. We yeah. talked about New Nightmare earlier. He's um, a good director, damn it. Uh, if we start referencing My Soul to Take, things have gone bad. Oh, only I, you saw that one, so that's that, that's up to you. You're going to have to find an organic place. It's, it's bad. To fit it's My a bad movie. To take. <laughs> Wes right. Craven made some stinkers, too. You know what we uh, almost underrated? Cursed. Cursed is alright. Cursed is Cursed got a lot of crap because everyone Kevin knew there was behind the scenes shenanigans yeah. on it, and there's a longer cut out there somewhere. But the movie we got still pretty good. Still pretty good. Uh, yeah. What wonderful uh, twist with the bully in that? In yeah, that Milo Ventimiglia, yeah. I think, played the bully in that one. Yeah. He was good in that. Yeah. Uh, the invitation is not good. Oh, bummer. It's one of those stinkers. Oh, yeah, you mentioned that earlier, that it wasn't uh, good. I think it's why we allowed ourselves to go on a tangent for Na- a minute. Natalie Emmanuel plays a young woman uh, who's uh, on finan- in financial hard times. Yeah. Uh, she's barely making ends meet, and she has uh, taken jobs just sort of like carrying trays at fancy dress partings for rich people. And mm. she, uh, she and her friend resent the fact that, A, they have to do this work, and B, that they are sexually assaulted on the regular. Like, people just sort of touch them and spank them as they pass yeah it's they talk horrible, and they yeah. talk about that like they, they and they mention it so flippantly because it just happens so frequently mm-hmm. uh they go to a she's serving a, a fancy dress ball for like the executive of like one of those 23 and me look up your own heritage sites so she decides and she gets a free one so she decides to mm-hmm. look herself up uh and wouldn't you know it she has family in england mm. she didn't know she has family in england so she goes to england to meet her, uh, her very, very rich, lives in a castle, incredibly white extended family. I love that this 23andMe thing is because like, whenever something new comes out, there's always some screener. It's like, how can I use this as the inciting incident of a horror movie? Yeah, why not? Basically, like that's how that's how the latest Paranormal Activity movie started. Paranormal Activity Next of Kin. Someone found oh, out that like, that yeah, Wait, the, I, this, no, I did see that. One. Oh, yeah, that's right. They was, go out to like the they go out to like the, the, the Amish the barn country. And, yeah, yeah. yeah the, some they find out. <laughs> they go that, out to the barn where the family lives. They go out to like they 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 do the twenty three and Me thing, and it turns out they have relatives who are basically live in that secluded sort of mm-hmm. Amish type community, except they're not really. And uh, it all goes really, really there's horrifying, a, yeah, and it's like the magic well and ghost dimensions and all the rest. Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a couple of good. It ends well, but getting there is a chore. The yeah, the the, yeah. the final like ghost climax is pretty fun. The last man, twenty I mean. minutes of that's pretty good, yeah. but like everything up in there, it's kind of uh, not worth it. But yeah, <laughs> but, Natalie Emmanuel gets to meet all of these people. She gets to learn the story of of her ancestors, uh, and she feels completely out of place because she's impoverished and she's black, and uh, she's surrounded by all these white people who treat her horribly. Yeah. Uh, and but wouldn't you know it? There's a, a shadowy Rochester Mr. Darcy type. Mm-hmm. This kind of like 
tall, dark, and handsome guy who is not related to her by blood, just mm-hmm. like just a local lord who has eyes for her Ooh. and c- constantly flirts with her and takes her on dates and pulls her aside during the fancy dress balls. Isn't wouldn't it be nice? You you should have someone in your life. He has it's a just, giant cape with two red hands on it. <laughs> like in Manos, the hands he's, of He's fate. the master, and, yes. and Torgo is there. Ooh. Who would you cast as Torgo now? Uh, who would be a good Torgo? Who would be a good Torgo? Tom Hardy. Tom I, mean, Hardy I mean, he's good at yeah. everything. Yeah, you're right. He the master, Tor- Tor- like he, he, he can play Torgo and out. the master. There you go. <laughs> really make role. you think. And, and he's done that before. He, was, he played uh, what Venom. Was he plays Venom and well, Venom. He plays the voice of Venom, but he also played uh, Twin Brothers in, in that one. Oh, Gangster yeah, movie. what was that? Legend. Legend, that's yeah, right. Yeah, good performance, just not a great Legend. movie, yeah. No, not a good movie. Yeah, yeah he, he, play, he played both brothers, and yeah. he, was, he was very good. Um, I, God, I wish Torgo was in this movie. Uh, <laughs> that's how you know yeah, you're in the, a good uh, movie, when you wish Torgo and, was in it. So uh, uh, we get down to the big twist where Natalie Emanuel, who's becoming a little bit suspicious of this mm. handsome, uh, tall, dark, and handsome uh, fellow, mm. welcome to a fancy dress party where everybody's there and they're all down a big table. And he says, thank you, everyone, for always supporting me through my years, because as it turns out, I'm Dracula. He's not literally Dracula. He's a Dracula. He's a, one of the As, many. He's, he, I'm he's, Ted Dracula and, of, uh, the, of the British Dracula. And those two catty ladies who have been treating Natalie Emmanuel, those are my two wives, and now I need a third wife to complete the trifecta. And, because... Uh, I like it when things are in so, three. Yeah, pretty much. It's like yeah, some. My, when did some, it include because, my wife trilogy? Because something, something prophecy, and, uh, and he, <laughs> you know, they, they slice open the neck of a scullery maid, and everybody oh, no. and he hands him a cup of blood. It's like aha. And it's kind of interesting the way they edit that scene because they cut to him. He's like, oh yes, and clearly I'm a vampire, and oh dun dun dun, and they cut away, and everybody kind of like golf claps and drinks their champagne. Yes. I love it when he says he's a vampire. I'm, he is, you I'm, know. I'm glad he's he's not eating us because we're we're the the landed gentry. Mm. And they cut back to him and it's like I think in the edit they like put pointy fingertips on him or like nice. they gave him a widow's peak like that a cape grows on it. Like he starts <laughs> looking more Dracula through like for every edit, which is kind of cute. Um you the the twist is kind of broadcast uh, and, broadcast in the trailer, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Like, and we, and you'd think that there'd be something kind of fun and ha- hammer horror about this, you know? Well, it's kind of a you're fun going, idea. Yeah, you're, you're going into this big mansion. I mean, you're the Simpsons your family did it and, for Christ's sake. Yeah, We're invited and, to Dracula's house. And, and you it's would funny. think at that point things would go a little bit crazy. It'd be a little bit more lurid. Mm. Kind of a haunted it's, house. I'm trapped in the, yeah. the fucking castle with Dracula, and he's got the hots for me. This movie does not have the moxie to be lurid. Uh, it doesn't have fun with the blood. It doesn't have fun with the horror. It doesn't have fun with monsters or dread or nudity or sex none of that if you're not going to be funny you better be lurid with dracula exactly that's what dracula is and it's not he's not a funny like he's a charming super sexy dude but Good. he's not you so, got that right at least yeah and, and natalie emmanuel is an attractive young lady it's awesome. like of course these two people are drawn to each other they're fucking hot uh yeah. but uh they're not if, if you're going to do that can we like have some sex in the movie or at least some sexual tension in the movie. I have been informed that the answer is no. No. <laughs> the answer is no. And in, in addition to them not having fun with this premise, it's actually very kind of dry and pretty, uh, it feels very formulaic. I, I, I don't even know if, I don't know if this was a problem with uh, the projector in my theater, but I couldn't see a damn thing. I hate that. It was so dimly lit uh. and so shadowy 
that there were certain scenes where I, I honestly couldn't tell what was going on. There's a scene where uh, two scullery maids go into a wine cellar mm-hmm. and they, they know something's down there. They know it's dangerous. And once they're down there, go to the bathroom because you're not going to be able to see a damn thing. Of what's oh, going on. Something gets them. I can tell by the sounds, like something's after them and eating the scullery yeah. maids. But yeah, they're just, yeah. it's not photographed in a way you can tell what's going on. I wonder if uh, in, in scullery maids... Hmm. The skull is considered the most delicious part for a demon. That's why they're called scullery maids, William. I assume that's the case. Uh-huh. It's it's kind of odd. Like, they're keep constantly talking about how it's difficult to find help. Well, yeah, because if you're hired as a scullery maid, you're just sort of vanish into this castle and you never come out again because you're being fed to a vampire. You're, you're not There's getting... No, they don't, there's not even a line of dialogue about how, yes, we go to, like, orphanages and we, we yeah. find these people who have no family. No, no, nothing like that. Like, you know that, like, working class people talk, right? Yeah. But it's yeah. like, no, don't don't work for that guy. That guy's an asshole. Yeah. Like, you know, or, like, or that, that, take, guy, take that guy's the, all hands. Don't trust him. You know, or, yeah, or you take the job, but here's what to look out for. And here's yeah. how it's going to be difficult. Like, so if you have, like, if no one knows, like, like, oh, yeah, people work for him all the time. Oh, really? Can I speak to any of them? They've all mysteriously vanished. Mm. Well, then I'm not going there. The, there, There is a bit of a fun theme going throughout because we see uh, Natalie Emanuel at the start being abused by her employers. And this mm. is about an employer who abuses yeah. the scullery maids. I, mean, I wouldn't call that fun, but like it's, no, no, it's I mean, it, it, apropos, it, it, I suppose. It, it, yeah. Interesting, stimulates the in- intellect. Okay. Uh, but, and it and it ends in a sort of a fun way. There's sort of like a little uh, epilogue. Okay. Yeah. Um, but those themes aren't really heartily explored or looked at in any kind of serious way, and it's sort of, like, forgotten about throughout long uh, sequences. If you look back to the original Dracula, Dracula is a shitty boss. Like, look how he treats Renfield. Like, it's not... <laughs> well, he, I wouldn't want to work hip, for him either. He like, hypnotizes him and turns him into a ghoul. Renfield's happy once he's a ghoul. Yeah, he's happy once he's a ghoul, but that's, like... Making someone happy with middle management. You've just convinced them to be happy. They're not you're not actually doing anything in their best interests. And I feel like there's something to be said for like treating Dracula as a shitty boss. Like there's yeah, something like it, that could work. Like I could imagine that you know what? Fuck it. That's just what we do in the shadows with Guillermo. <laughs> that's just Guillermo what we do in the shadows. It's just having a shitty boss. But like, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> like you could do that. They they could have they could have done so much more. They do Ugh. almost nothing with the invitation. That's that sounds cool. like a real bummer. It's pretty bad. Yeah, awesome. Uh, okay, I've got two more movies I've seen. I guess I'll do one next. Should I talk about the comedy or the thriller? Um, we just came off Vampire, so let's stay there. Let's go with. Go, tell me about the thriller. Okay, so the thriller. Is a new film from Babak Anvari. Uh, they did the really excellent horror movie Under the Shadow, mm-hmm. uh, which is about uh, a, a woman trapped in her apartment uh, with her child, and uh, they are attacked by a demon. Uh, and this is in the middle of, uh, I believe, Iran. And uh, yeah, it's just very harrowing, very, very well done. Um, I didn't see their follow-up. I think it was called Wounds, but this is a new film from them. It is on Netflix, and Netflix doesn't care if you know about it. <laughs> and this just showed up. Didn't even, usually new movies premiere on, on, on Netflix on a Thursday, and everyone's kind of used to that. Oh, it's Thursday. I wonder what's on Netflix. This was up on, like, a Tuesday. Just like, eh, <laughs> fuck it. No, Netflix is so bad. Like, Netflix will some... We're press and netflix will sometimes send us press releases like uh here's a film coming here. yeah it's, here's what's coming uh here's who's in it and here's when it opens yeah and happen. uh and yeah. you it's, if, it's if you're most in, of their bigger releases if you're interested yeah. contact publicity and we can arrange a screener that's the way it works for us and yeah. um uh 
they don't tell you about everything, even when you're press. No. You don't get a press release for every Netflix film. You get a press release for some of them. I remember I was talking to some editors. They were just like, it's such a pain mm. because you don't know what's coming from Netflix and you never know what's going to be a hit. Yeah. Like yeah. all of a sudden, it's, it's like, uh, what was that uh, that teen, like really sad one? It was like Seven Reasons Why or something like that. It was about oh, like a, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I didn't it, see that one, but yeah, yeah. No one knew that that was going to be a thing. No one had any, all of a sudden people just happened to watch that one. Right. And then it was like, how do we keep up with it? Like drop a new 10 fucking episode series on a Thursday. Everyone's talking about it on Friday. We didn't know about it until then. It's hard to keep up. Not the end of the world, but it's hard to keep up. So this is a movie that kind of got dropped in the middle of nowhere and nobody knew about it. But I liked Babak Anvari's first film and I wanted to check it out. And sure enough, this is a taut little thriller. Okay. Uh, I Came By is the story of a, a graffiti artist played by... Let me get his name right, because for some reason the credits are in weird order. Um, bah, 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 bah. Yeah. yeah, he's like Just way down. Well, in any case, hmm. played by someone. IMDb Play, doesn't played, want me to know. an actor. Okay. Played, yeah. Uh, and his a, whole a thing is... Actor? His whole thing is uh, he breaks into the houses... Of rich assholes and spray paints in their house. Uh, I came by in like big letters. That's yeah. like his tag. It's like Kilroy was here. Yeah. yeah, basically just to say you are not untouchable. Hmm. You know, well, if, I, I anyone was... who actually wants to when, uh, could could hmm. be could infect your life when you vandalized. Yeah, and everybody does a little bit. I drew on some, uh, I drew on some desks in, yeah, in my in yeah. school. It, yeah. it, it, did you ever write just I was here? That that was a really I mean, common thing we saw. In, probably in, in, I don't in really graffiti, remember. Graffiti uh, when when I when we were growing up was. Yeah. Well, I even saw it in spray painted on my school once. Somebody just wrote I was here. It was like uh, the, again, the the declarative statement of the vandal. I I may have, but I honestly do not remember. Um, but in any case, so he uh, he and his friend, uh, played by Purcell Ascot. Uh, they they do this, but then it turns out their lives are in an interesting crossroads. Uh, his friend, uh, his his girlfriend's pregnant, and he doesn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, uh, our hero's uh, mother, who is going through some shit of her, of her own, it's not easy, uh, uh, and uh, she. Um, she kicks him out of the house because basically he's not doing anything with his life and he's not telling her that what he's doing. Like George McKay is the actor. Okay. George McKay is the actor. Uh, and his mom's played by Kelly McDonald from Trainspot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's kicked out of the house. His best friend isn't talking to him because he wants to be out of the troublemaking life because he just wants to focus on and settle on a family. The guy ends up breaking into the house of a prominent former judge. And in the house, he finds the guy has been holding someone captive in the basement. So now he's at a crossroads. He doesn't know what he should do. He can't really say he was in there because he doesn't want to tell the whole world that he's this tagger and this criminal. But he also feels the need to do something. Vandalism, by the way, especially like street artists, it's like technically criminal but it's like well i get it but it's sort of thing hey he's I'll, young he's yeah. young and he's maybe not making the right the right choices uh, but what he does do is he decides you know he tries to t- t- call, tell the police anonymously and of course the police walk inside the guy's house and say you're rich and white and then they leave hmm. 
So finally, he decides he's going to have to break in there himself and do something about it. And at that point, the movie takes a couple of interesting turns, which I'm not going to reveal, because unlike a movie like The Invitation or Red Eye or whatever like that, it would actually help if you didn't know. And it's it's not going to make the marketing of the movie that much easier. What I can say is that it doesn't necessarily go exactly where you expect it to go. And I appreciate that. And the movie has a somewhat more uh, unusual structure than I was expecting mm. once the action really kicks in. The villain of the piece is played by Hugh Bonneville, the dad from the Paddington movies. So seeing him play like a serial killer is very nice and twisted, and he's really good I've at it. I've seen him around in a lot, a lot of different movies. He'll mostly know him from that stuff now. He's had a long story career. He's played a lot of different characters. But you can tell he's having fun, like playing a guy who on the outside is like saying all the right things, mm. and everyone likes him, and he's on the positive end of a lot of social issues. And it seemed like he might have run for prime minister once once and everyone really really likes him but he's a monster <laughs> and indeed kelly mcdonald starts to get uh, suspicious about him and start tracking him down and there's a cop who gets invested in him as well and he, after a while he starts kind of enjoying the cat and mouse game a little too much and it's getting weird um this is a genre it's a small subgenre, but the i broke into the wrong house subgenre is a pretty good one mm. Because so don't breathe comes to mind. Don't breathe is a great example. That is a that is a fucked up version of it. That is okay. a very <laughs> that is a very twisted, hmm. violent, mean version of it. Uh, there was a really bad version of it uh, called Bad Samaritan, starring David Tennant, hmm. uh, where a guy Not broke to into be confused David with Samaritan. No, yeah, Bad Samaritan was the name of a of a pretty small. A horror movie from about three years ago starring David Tennant as a rich guy. And yeah, he's been torturing people in his house and some guy breaks into his house and, and, and there you go. The best example ever is still the people under the stairs. Yes. That also that's, Wes Craven. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but this is going great. Um, it's do, fucking do, awesome do, movie. Do Serpent in the Rainbow next. I, I'll find a way. Uh, but uh, yeah, People Under the Stairs is fucking amazing. It's about... Uh, uh, Ving Rames and I forget who plays the kid mm. uh, they decide to break into the house of these rich landlords who are like basically killing everyone with their various like terrible tenants yeah, there's a and, like, thumb yeah. on, on a, a, the yeah. local neighborhood which is yeah. being kept in poverty by these horrible yeah. landlords so they decide it's only fair if they run, they break into their house and rob their shit and once they get there they find out that those people are homicidal maniacs who have mm. been keeping people living in their in their crawl spaces yeah, and it's fucked <laughs> that movie is fucked up and it's so good uh i came by is never that bizarre and never uh-huh. that like sleazy uh-huh. as some of those other really really good examples but it's a damn sight better than bad samaritan a couple other minor examples i can mm-hmm. think of it is taught it's got some clever reversals things you didn't expect it to do um and i think it's got a good sense of what causes characters to do the wrong things for the right reasons and vice versa. Hmm. And I think that's a really good uh, uh, angle to have for a thriller because you have people who are not necessarily going to make wise choices in order to keep the story going. Uh, I really, really like that there's a character in this movie who is doing honestly what every person in the audience would tell, would say is the right thing to do. Oh, you should stay out of it. You have a kid now. And then that guy eventually realizes that making what seems like the right decision 
wasn't necessarily the right decision and he's actually got to make up for it. And that's a pretty cool thing to do. And I think I really like that character's journey. That's an interesting bit of writing. So not nearly as rich, textured, kind of distinct as Under the Shadow, but solid thriller. And definitely not something that Netflix should have dumped without telling anybody on a rather good film. Um, We have, you and I, and and critics in general, bemoan the state of a lot of streaming services who, especially, you know, Netflix who pioneered this model of buying up a great deal of movies yeah acquiring which, new know. films but even even bankrolling hmm. various smaller projects and then just dropping them in a bucket yeah and and the the most infuriating thing is they're doing that with high profile films as well yeah. a lot of their awards bait movies they'll push sure roma the, 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 power Ro- of the dog yeah power of the dog the irishman those yeah. you know about the occasional super expensive ones they'll push really hard like the gray man mm. or they did that with bright that's right. But yeah, yeah. the vast majority of the stuff that they have, even good stuff, mm. they barely tell anyone it's, about. It's, yeah, it's like a, this weird fire sale. And yeah. so, you know, you, a lot of people are coming out against this notion of content rather than art. If it is yeah. mere content and the the distributors are treating it as such, uh-huh. if it's just this sort of massive sludge to them that they're just sort of mm. letting loose, it, it makes the experience feel a little less curated. Everything's sort of haphazard. Yeah. And there's no encouragement to talk about it. And and there's no encouragement to, like... Honestly, it's hardly any encouragement to make it. Like, mm. you look at something, like, if you're just going to drop all of these, like half-hearted productions and some of them really are there's a movie i was going to review it for this week Mm. um and hold on i want to make sure i get the title right because it was just such a generic title but i was gonna review uh the the fight it was called love in the villa love in the villa yeah and it was so generic even i turned it off diane lane is falling in love with another diane lane i mean kind of like it's about a woman who like she always dreamed of going to verona uh-huh. Because she loved Romeo and Juliet. Mm. So she goes to Verona, like, right after her boyfriend breaks up with her. And uh-huh. she, like, rents, like, a nice apartment from an Airbnb. But it turns uh-huh. out it was double booked by a handsome guy, but he's not nice. Oh, my God. And, they eventually, and I'm like, I'm watching this, and I'm like, I review Hallmark <laughs> movies for fun. And I talk nobody about that. Nobody forces you to I, do that. Nobody that's, had, that's on nobody, you. I invented that. No, I didn't invent that. I was on the, but I was on the cutting edge of that. Before that was the popular thing that it was now, I was one of the people who was like, this should be a popular thing. So I've, I've seen enough of those movies. No, sure. <laughs> My point is this. I have a high tolerance for generic pap. <laughs> Halfway through Love in the Villa, I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to, I'm not reviewing it. Hmm. This is not me saying, for all I know, it got really good in the second half. I cannot review it because I didn't see the whole thing. But what I can say is Netflix just made something. Yeah, they yeah. just they just put up like it's like movie as a paste, and it's just like <laughs> you know like you know, like, like, like grand production of Oliver Twist, and it's like what are we eating today? Mm. I don't know. We just took all the leftovers and ground them up into a fine paste, and we watered it down, and we're calling it stuff today. And it's like that's what you're eating, and it's mm. like oh, we should sing a song about how much we like food. I'd be like, yeah, I would too if I were you. And then the movie starts, mm. like 
That's what Love in the Villa felt like to me for the first half. But again, I'm not reviewing it. Maybe it gets better. I honestly can't say. Maybe there's a twist. Maybe they do something fun. I don't know. What I can say is there is a heat wave going on in Los Angeles, and my patience is at a is at a minimum. <laughs> so, it, we are dying here. If we I don't have, to, have tur- to talk about this, I ain't gonna. We have to turn off the air in order to record this podcast, and I am sweating like yeah. a dog and, right and now. And it gets pretty warm. And, but yeah, I, yeah. and I know dogs sweat through their tongues, and I'm just like... I'm like one big tongue right now. I'm going to shut up. Whitney, tell me about another movie. <laughs> it's so hot. Uh, I can't I'm talk fanning to, myself right now. Can't talk to you about dogs, but how how, how, you, how about a monkey? How about it? You want me to talk about the monkey movie? Please. All right. Uh, Gigi and Nate. Okay. About a guy and his monkey. Which one's Gigi? Gigi's the monkey. That makes sense. I mean, it's, it's got a 50-50 shot, right? Uh, this it's either is, Gigi or Nate, and if it's neither, then what are you doing? Uh, this is uh, the director who did uh, uh, some film, Killing Bottom. This guy who did Killing. Oh, Bottom. okay. Yeah, his name is Nick Ham. Ah. And uh, this is uh, a true story based on a, a fellow who I, I think it was due to meningitis mm. uh, lost control of most of his body. Okay. Became uh, became. Bound to wheelchair, was quadriplegic, could kind of move his hands a little bit with a great deal of pain. Okay. Uh, and his mom, played by Marsha Gay Harden, and his dad, played by Jim Belushi. Okay, interesting, uh, interesting casting. They're, uh, they're well off enough that they can get him a helper monkey, a little cappuccino mm. monkey. That's, that's Gigi. And mm. the movie is about that. Okay. They get a monkey, and the monkey is cute. Because okay. capuchin monkeys are cute little creatures. Is this a sequel to Monkey Shines or a prequel to Monkey Shines? Or I, that is not a Wes Craven movie, by the way. That's, that's a George Romero movie. Yeah, uh, so it doesn't fit the theme. <laughs> I like Monkey Shines, by the way. I, I haven't seen it forever. I, I remember liking it though. Uh, same. Uh, I, I I recall it being pretty fun for a monkey, a yeah. killer monkey movie. Yeah, it's about a guy who gets a helper monkey, and then the helper monkey kills people for the guy. Uh, Without no, no, the, no, wanting to, no, like, the monkey gets jealous of like pe- people in his. He's spending. That's what I meant. He, start, he yeah. starts spending time with people. And the monkey gets jealous and like threatens to kill the people. That that's I mean, yeah, kills like four. Yeah, four. Yeah, yeah, that, I, yeah, I said it weird, but yeah, like, right, like yeah. he's not sending the monkey out to kill. No, no, people. no, no. that would be a different kind of movie. That'd, That'd be, be perfectly kind of fun, fine yeah. movie, but it's a different movie. There's a movie called Blood Monkey, but I don't know if that's the. <laughs> okay, Blood Monkey, I believe, stars F. Murray Abraham, and yeah, hold on, I actually think I've yeah, I've seen yeah, it's F. You've seen Blood Monkey. Oh, I've seen Blood Monkey. Yeah, I. I it started, also stars Matt Ryan from Constantine. Uh, I, I always was tempted to rent Blood Monkey, and then I thought, yeah. life's too short. And Blood Monkey came out in like the early days of, or the relatively early days of the Sci-Fi Channel original movie. No, back when some of them were actually pretty good and you like were trying had some to money. make real movies. The, 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 the Sharktopus jokes. One of the best. They're the two best ones from that era. The, the Blood Monkey's right up there. Uh, but uh, is uh, first off. Um, Abominable, starring Matt Ryan. Oh, which uh, is uh, it's it's like Rear Window. window. It's yeah. like Rear Window, but with a killer Bigfoot, <laughs> uh, which is a fun premise. Yeah. Like a guy just keeps seeing people getting killed by Bigfoot, and nobody believes him. Really solid. There's also a pretty danged good one, uh, directed by I think it's Jack Shoulder. Yeah, Jack Shoulder did one uh, called Arachnid, which is about an island with a whole bunch of giant arachnids on it. It's got Alex Reed from um, not the what was the the Descent. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, that's actually a pretty solid thriller as well. Okay. Anyway, I'm glad we talked about that. Moving on. Uh, well, uh, we could talk about that instead because not a damn thing happens in Gigi and Nate. It is just oh. about how he has a monkey and the monkey's cute and the monkey helps him out. 
There's no catharsis. That, that sounds like a short film. That sounds, yeah, like, that sounds like an after-school special. Just, just he has the monkey, and some people are a little bit flustered that there's a monkey around. Uh-huh. And he brings the monkey into a grocery store, and wouldn't you know it, there's some straw men. Lur- I mean, there's some uh, very angry people <laughs> lurking inside the uh, the grocery it? store. It's like, you, you can't have a monkey in here. And it's not that like comedic monocle popping. Uh-huh. Like That's treated as a serious drama. No, my son needs this monkey. I'm like, how oh, often does this come up that you have a hard rule about it? It's like that the, the monkey's a service animal. No, you can't have a monkey in here. And this entire subplot springs up Weird. Uh, about this angry animal rights group that objects to helper animals. And if you look, if you look up what's going on with helper animals, there is some controversy. There, there's, 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 a, there's something you know, to be said for that conversation. Yeah. I, this movie doesn't delve into that though. Uh. And it really overblows uh, the drama about protesters for this guy. This guy who's in a wheelchair, who has a helper monkey that's helping him out. Totally pleasant dude. Nobody's hurting nobody. The monkey is cute. And all of a sudden there's protesters outside his house, like throwing tomatoes at him. Because he has a monkey. It's like, I don't understand where the vitriol comes from in this movie. I don't understand what's being objected to. It sounds like a parody. Yeah, almost. It's okay. like, and and it ends in a big teary courtroom scene. Oh my god! Is there a moment where it's like we have to let the monkey choose? Where it's like at the S- end of Air Bud. S- sadly, no. Does the, does the monkey take the stand? Please tell me the monkey takes the stand. I call Gigi to the stand. <laughs> what do you think of Nate? <laughs> well, it's right there, Your Honor. <laughs> no, sadly, there's no no, okay. no nothing so fun or, or crazy or stupid <laughs> as you know. Ain't no rules as a monkey can't serve. Coming a guy soon like from that. Pure Flix. Kong's not dead. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. The, the, the drama is uh, completely hackneyed and manufactured. It doesn't make any sense. It's you can so, tell a sweet so story about and, people yeah. like coming to terms with you know major life changes yeah. and like having you know working with an animal and that changing your life. We've seen many sweet movies about that and similar topics. Yeah, maybe yeah, not specifically it's... this. But Monkey Shines is the example, and that's a yeah, horror they, movie. They, but they, like... they really tamp down uh, yeah. the, the the drama or uh, yeah. sort of the realities of. Uh, uh, being disabled, like none of that's really addressed in this movie. Oh, that sounds really like, bad. Like the the reality is is the monkey and how he likes the monkey. And well, seems like a nice okay, monkey. I, I, I'd know. like to play with a capuchin monkey. From what I understand, they're incredibly docile animals. That and, seems nice. And in fact, I was so bored watching this movie, I like picked up my phone and started looking up facts about capuchin monkeys. What did you learn it's about like, capuchin monkeys? That that they're very gentle. And in fact, the idea of having a capuchin monkey in your house, it's illegal. Mm. You can't have exotic animals in, in the United States anyway. But like, Even as can, a helper? You can, you can have them as a helper. Ah, There's, okay. And there are these organizations that train monkeys to be helpers. Uh, because capuchin monkeys are very easy to train. And... They are such gentle creatures that there is hardly, uh, there's no chance at all that they'll attack you. I couldn't find any instances of a capuchin monkey attacking somebody. Maybe they're out there. I, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't find them. Yeah, fair enough. It's not like having a chimpanzee, because I know chimpanzees are fucking vicious. There are very bad stories about that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there, a movie came out this year called Nope, which is about that very thing. Well, partly, but that's yeah. one major part of it. Yeah. I mean, I've got a few other topics in there as well. but there, there, There's other things as well, but uh, that, that movie is very, very much about animal wrangling. That's Yeah, it's, very, it's exactly what it's about, yeah. yeah. Uh, so... Uh, 
so, uh, objecting to having a chimpanzee in the neighborhood might be an issue because a chimpanzee might go feral at some point and attack yeah. a person. Uh, Capuchin monkey, it's a little guy. Doesn't hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. What, I don't know what the problem is here. God. Uh, it, it, it's it's terrible. It's okay. terrible. Well, you want to hear about another bad movie? Yeah, tell me about a bad movie. Okay, this one's called Me Time. Mm. This is also on Netflix. You know when you're uh, uh, you're on the internet mm. and like you click on a website or you click on like some sort of function, and they're like, uh, "Are you sure you want to do that?" Mm. Or like, "This is an unsecured website. Are you sure you want to do something else?" Like, are you 18 and over? Like, that kind of thing. Like, they do, they want to make sure you're 100% sure you wouldn't, you shouldn't be doing something else right now. Mm-hmm. Well, Netflix has built that functionality into me time. So you're watching this movie and it stars uh, Kevin Hart as a super dad. He takes care of mm-hmm. his two kids and he's really, really great at it. And he works, from, he, he doesn't work from home. He works at home. He's a stay-at-home dad. And his wife, played by the great Regina Hall, uh, great in, in in life. Maybe not. This isn't a great example of her work, but she's great. Mm. She is a professional architect, and she makes the money, and she focuses on work. So he focuses on uh, taking care of the family. Uh, about ten, fifteen minutes into this movie, uh, they get into an argument, and I feel like this is really sums the movie up in a nutshell, mm. because they're talking about how. Really, we would all rather be watching Bridgerton right now. <laughs> Bridgerton, which is a Netflix original series, which the, is the, there. There used to be this phenomenon in scheduled television where mm-hmm. they would put like a crappy show they want to sell next to the hit show. Sure, like they premiere a big new uh, hot show that was already like entering its fifth season. Everyone yeah. wanted to see it, and, and then, then they, right afterwards, they put some new show, hoping they would hoping they would siphon off some. Some yeah. people just didn't want feel like changing the channel. Uh, it seems like Netflix is trying to do that, but it doesn't work when it's not scheduled. Well, it, it doesn't work when it's in reverse. It doesn't work when you've got a crappy thing, and it's basically like, hey, listen, we know you're 15 minutes into me time right now. We're going to remind you that Bridgerton is available right now. You could press two buttons and be watching Bridgerton instead. Mm. Because what happens in the scene, they are having an argument. She's talking about how she's missing her child's life. He's talking about how... You know, he doesn't he doesn't have any me time. He doesn't have any time to himself, which is both both reasonable concerns. And then what really kicks off the disagreement, what really kicks off uh, the movie, is when he finds out that she binged Bridgerton without him. She was on a business trip, and she watched Bridgerton with a friend. Now he said, "You don't understand. We were supposed to watch Bridgerton together. Bridgerton is important. I didn't watch Bridgerton. No." I made a sacrifice, and I watched Storage Wars, mm. now available, I believe, on Peacock. Or is that Paramount Plus? No, I think that's on Peacock. He watched another streaming service as a sacrifice, and it was so horrible, this other streaming service, because he would rather have been watching Netflix with his wife. Hmm. So... This is a Netflix movie about people who would rather be watching other things on Netflix right now. <laughs> and it goes and it goes on like this. Later on in the film, uh, uh, our, our, our protagonist, such as he is, mm. Kevin Hart, and his best friend, played by Mark Wahlberg, uh, what happens is 
Uh, they decide to, over the course of the kids' spring break, she would take the kids on a trip to visit her parents so she could have some time with the kids just by herself. And then he would have the week to himself to sort of, you know, touch base with himself, self-care. Mm. And when he finds that he's not very good at that, he ends up contacting his old best friend, Mark Wahlberg, who is having this really elaborate uh, uh, birthday party like out in the middle of the desert. And Kevin Hart ends up fighting a mountain lion. And then there's a bunch of like loan sharks who come in and they torch the place. And it all, it all, it all turns to shit and they're on a bit of an adventure. Kevin Hart and Mark Wahlberg end up breaking into a guy's house. And this guy is, in Kevin Hart's eyes, uh, trying to seduce his wife. He's working with his wife. He's worried his wife will be tempted mm. by this much more successful man. So they break into the guy's house to the pull some pranks. Oh, that, that's kind of like, funny because that's the role Mark Wahlberg played in the film Date Night. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> so they break into the guy's house and uh, they're doing like pranks like, okay, we're going to uh, uh, steal all of his left shoes. It'll be, right. you know, like, there you go. Well, ha, ha. A fun prank. Right. I mean, it's a shitty it, prank, it, but there you go. Know, well, you know, good if you're 13, I guess. Yeah, and then, but then they spend a, a whole section of that going through the guy's uh, uh, streaming services and making fun of him for the for watching Storage Wars, currently on Peacock, uh, and I believe it is Blue Bloods, which is currently on Paramount Plus. You know, this this so this, this is... asshole doesn't watch anything on Netflix. Oh my god. It's just the, the pathetic That's, guy that is, who we're supposed to not like that is doesn't watch Netflix. Anathema to modern existence. I know, right? One of the subplots in this movie is uh, Kevin Hart's son. Kevin Hart used to be a pianist, mm. and he was very good at it. And he encouraged his son to be a pianist as well, and there's an upcoming talent show. And so he's, Kevin Hart is encouraging him, you're going to play the piano and you're going to be great. And he doesn't realize is that his son has moved on. He doesn't. That's not what he wants to do. Okay. What he wants to do is stand up. He wants to be a stand-up comedian, and you can tell this because he's watching a lot of Netflix stand-up specials. Like, a lot of ones that you can name right now. You can watch them right when you're done here. Like, oh, there's a Bill, Bill Burr did a stand-up special. We're good. I'm watching this Bill Burr stand-up special on Netflix. There's one. There's one stand-up special that he references that is not a Netflix-exclusive stand-up special, and that is Eddie Murphy Raw. Which is currently on Netflix, so it was not made for Netflix. It was no, made but like Netflix, or Netflix knew like that. that it was mentioned in this movie, and people would rather be watching anything but this movie. So when this movie incepts you with better media, <laughs> it needs to be something that is currently on Netflix. Yeah. Um, Netflix knew it was making shit and put in subliminal messaging to get you to watch different things on Netflix instead, rather than switch to another uh, streaming th service which has bullshit this is like both, Blue Bloods. Uh, oh God, this is. It's it's simultaneously like pathetic and insidious. Yeah, uh, like it's, it's just it's 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 marketing, mm. but you put it in a movie, but then you forgot to make a movie. Yeah, like a lot of movies have product placement. A lot of movies are built around a product, whether it's a real product or the idea mm. of a product. Like I I get that, I accept that. Sometimes they're good. Mm. There's they're good movies with product placement. That's just life. I get it. Sometimes the product placement is fucking embarrassing, and that's very common too. Yeah. And it's you, when you know you're being pandered to, you just roll your eyes, and it takes you out of the movie, and it sucks. I'm reminded of the uh, the film we saw uh, 
very much like Gigi and Nate. It's called Flora and Ulysses. Which oh, yeah. A young girl. and was a Disney Plus film. Did, yeah. It was released on Disney Plus, but a young girl and uh, the friendly squirrel she befriends. Does not a talking mm-hmm. squirrel, but super powered squirrel. Yeah, it's got like weird super strength and yeah, can fly. Yeah, it's like su- super strong and can fly. And, yeah, that's and like Michigan J. Frog. Around. It only does it when she's around. When anyone else yeah, is around, it doesn't do any superpowers. But stuff. It, it's clearly a super powered squirrel, yeah. and she wants to make this the squirrel into a superhero. Yeah. And tries to convince the squirrel that it's a superhero. Yeah. It's a CGI squirrel. A good portion of that movie is devoted to uh, advertising Disney-owned IP. Just randomly like, uh, interjecting Disney stuff into the movie. Yeah, like little lines of dialogue here and there, references to Avengers. There's mm. an entire sequence where the dad, uh, mm. who works in an office supply store, mm-hmm. stays up all night creating uh, an in-store advertising display, and mm. it's all Star Wars stuff. There's a bit where... And, no, we, and there's a whole montage of he's playing yeah. like playing with Star Wars toys. There's, there's A lot of it you can tell they found like in post. Like uh, There's a bit where someone rings the doorbell of their house, mm. and the doorbell is like the imperial march from star wars mm-hmm. i mean this still this is like a line it was just like hey who changed the doorbell like it's like oh yeah because we're in disney plus mm-hmm. so everything is disney even if it's not disney i'm not talking about like universal made like the third or fourth movie in the bring it on series and they shot it at universal studios because mm-hmm. fuck it we own it yeah that'll save us some money right so like we advertise to universal studios and it's relatively harmless like that one it's like i get it yeah. I see what you did. I, I'm, I can only be so offended by that. But this is like, this doesn't even make sense. Mm, There's no sort of... reason for any of this stuff. So the, that this movie, and, and I'm not talking about the rest of the movie right now, because there's not much to it. It's a bad film. <laughs> it's it's he, he goes off on some misadventures with Mark Wahlberg. Ostensibly, they do some bromantic bonding. And that's it. It's not funny. It's not interesting. It's not even funny in that sort of generic way. It is far from the worst Kevin Hart movie. It is f- that is Get oh, he's, Hard. He, he's made yeah, he's made some awful. Get films. Hard is just brutal. That's just offensive. Yeah. It's not just offensive. It's also bad. Like it's just it manages to be the two worst things. And then it's not Mark Wahlberg's worst movie because that's at least Daddy's Home Two. I think is probably like the worst that I've seen. But even that's like. He sets he set some really low bars for himself over the years. And it's frustrating because this is writer-director John Hamburg. And John Hamburg, you know, not everything he's done is great, but I actually think he directed one of the great bromances. He directed I Love You, Man with Jason Segel and Paul Rudd. That's a really good movie. Mm. I love that movie. The movie's very funny. It plays around with the conventions of the buddy genre and, and equates them to the romantic... Well, yeah. yeah, basically, let's, what if we took all of the rules of the romantic comedy genre... But we made it about male bonding. That's a fun idea. And it plays with it well. It's funny. The characters work. It's really, really good. Here, he doesn't really have anything to explore. It never really delves into the idea of self-care. Kevin Hart's character is given like five things he's supposed to overcome over the course of the movie. And the movie just kind of forgets that he has these character flaws for a while. Like, it's like, oh, you're meek. You never say no to anybody. And I'm like, yeah, but there's also a subplot about how he's a total dictator at this talent show. And he says no too easily to everybody. So what the fuck are we supposed to do with that? That's just bad story. You you wrote a bad story, Petey. (laughs) Like it's a, it, it doesn't work. It's not funny. And the, over, over, over emphasis on trying to make this part of not just a Netflix movie, not even the Netflix canon. Like if you watch like the Netflix Christmas movies, every once in a while a character from a Netflix Christmas movie will be in the other Netflix Christmas movie as like a little cameo. Mm. And that's just cute. Because it's like, oh, I pay attention. 
<laughs> That's cute. They were from the Christmas Prince. I remember the Christmas Prince. If it's a cute wink, That's I don't fun. mind. I can yeah. work with that. I can live with that. That's funny. It's sweet. I, I don't mind that that's part of your brand. What I mind is you attempting to incept me. And that's, especially when it's so obvious and so insulting about it. And especially when there's no other reason to watch the movie other than, I, I guess Bridgerton would be better than this. Thank you, me time. I don't know why we spent any money on it, but all right. We could have just, just had someone on TV going, hey, you thought about Bridgerton? I'd be like, I, I hadn't. Thank you, guy on Netflix. Anyway, let's, for the love of God, move on, because I'm sick of talking about me time. Talk, uh, tell me about something. you got two more movies left to talk about. Yes. Tell me about, there's another one with Regina Hall. Tell me about that one. All right. Uh, there's one called Hunk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. Uh, this is a mockumentary comedy film. Mm. Uh, Regina Hall and Sterling K. Brown. Good cast. Uh, Sterling K. Brown is the former uh, minister of uh, Georgia Megachurch. Mm-hmm. One of those ones that has like you know, 12, 2,000 people in this gigantic yeah, they sanctuary. Take, they take tons of donations and they build these like yeah, and, massively, you know, yeah, turn it like an amusement park church. More yeah. or less. Uh, my, my, my wife used to call them Six Flags Over Jesus. And uh, nice. uh, Regina Hall is uh, his wife, who's called the First Lady of mm. the Mega Church. And they believe in uh, that whole uh, Jim Baker thing, the, the prosperity gospel. Yeah, where, God uh, wants you to have money. God wants you to be wealthy. And if I'm wealthy, that's proof of God's love. Um, yeah, uh, pretty sure. I've read you, a lot of the you, Bible. You, I don't really know where that's from. You, you can skim only parts of the New Testament to disprove that. Uh, I've, but, yeah, I've never read any part of the Bible yeah. that even remotely yeah. suggested that, but okay. Uh, it, it, hey, guess what? It's about greed. You know that deadly sin? Uh, oh. Anyway, you know that thing? What, yeah. what, it ruined another twist. Yeah, I know. I'm so sorry. Is there a Wes Craven I, movie I, about greed? What I, are we... I, 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 I ruined prosperity gospel <laughs> preachers. No, you don't need me to do that. And frankly, you don't need this movie to do that either. Mm. In fact, uh, although Sterling K. Brown is great, and he actually Always. has a lot of really wonderful dramatic moments, mm. uh, their church is rollicking from a, a, a heretofore unnamed scandal, and they've lost their entire church. Uh, we don't really know the nature of the scandal until later in the movie, mm. but we know that they're trying to work their way back to having like a, a, a bigger congregation again. Yeah. And they're trying to pull these big gestures it's like, oh, well, how about Easter Sunday, Day of Resurrection? We're going to have this big celebration. We're going to do this big gesture, and we're going to have all, everybody coming back. And uh, this film was trying really, really hard to mine this scenario for a lot of humor, point out sort of the this, the foibles and the hypocrisies of these giant megachurches. Sure. Uh, it hits about as soft as a bee bumping into you. It is. It has no teeth whatsoever. Well, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's bumping e- into you backwards because the bee is a bit of a pointy bit it's, at the uh, just go with my weird analogy. Okay, here. fine. <laughs> uh, there's so much that can be satirized and uh, just viciously mocked about uh, megachurches. Sure. Yeah, about you know, televangelists, the hypocrisy therein, uh, the size of them. When the Even material the is well worn by bordello of blood, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah. You know. It's, it's so... Unfortunately... This doesn't even think of having teeth. It doesn't get anywhere near being vicious. The only thing that really makes it watchable is Regina Hall and Sterling K. Brown. Because Sterling K. Brown, great actor. Regina Hall, funny as fuck. Yeah. She is hilarious. And she's really good in this movie. And she has a lot of really uh, wonderful moments where she 
has to bear a lot of humiliation, sometimes with like through gritted teeth in a really funny way, sometimes in a way that's actually kind of humiliating for her. And there is this really interesting moment at the end where we finally learn the nature of the scandal where uh, things actually do get pretty dramatic in like one scene near the end. But for the most part, you're not going to find yourself laughing. It's not a very funny movie. Uh, it doesn't have that sort of uh, zip that certain mockumentaries have had in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything Christopher Guest has been associated with. Uh, so, uh, un- unfortunately, it, it sort of falls really, really flat. It doesn't really emerge as much of a comedy. It feels like it should have been more of a short yeah. than a-, a feature film. They're really straining to find some kind of humorous moment, and the humorous moments don't come too frequently. They also don't really roll with the mockumentary aspects to all, oh. uh, all the way through because there's going to be scenes where we actually see the characters in private where the cameras wouldn't be allowed. You can't do that. And, and yeah, Come so we, it's yeah, not they, mockumentary all the way through. Oh, and that's, that's they, kind of I a hate thing. it when movies do that. Although, there's some found footage horror movie I was watching like a year or two yeah. ago and occasionally they would show something where the cameras couldn't be there and I'm like, mm. you can't do that. I, I do appreciate... You, you decided... Uh, someone, who was it? Someone was like... Someone online was talking about found footage and how it's basically, it seems like it's easy, but it's actually making movies on hard mode mm. because there's so many arbitrary creative decisions you have to stick with. Yeah. And yeah. one of them would be that. You can't show anything unless mm. it would be on camera. Mm. And as soon as you do, you've ruined it. Yeah. I, I appreciate, they do play with it a little, uh, that format a little bit because there's a, a, a few scenes where uh, they're interviewing Regina Hall and she's, uh, sort of putting on her game face, as it were, saying, I'm the first lady of this mega church, and here's what we're going to do. And then she says something like, maybe a little bit untoward, not mm. like big revelation. Yeah. And then she turns to the filmmaker and says, you can cut that. It's kind of, it's okay. You know, It's not up to her. Yeah. She's trying to take control of the production. So I, I like little moments like that sure. where you kind of, you, we get to see sort of the layers of reality and the show she's putting on. That's mm. That actually makes good use of the format yeah. um you know it's not revolutionary but at least they put a thought into that moment but yeah then they show them at home it's like but the cameras aren't there yeah there's there's so there's even like the rules yeah it. there's like a even a sex scene between the two it's like the cameras would be filming that that's yeah. <laughs> uh Ugh. so it doesn't really think out its premise too well it doesn't think out it uh what it's trying to attack very well and even when it, the targets do sort of fall in, into your sights it, it's not really trying to be very vicious and it oh, could man. be be incredibly vicious i was really hoping I, I wanted it to be vicious i was really hoping after me time was such a stinker that oh. this movie and i was gonna watch this i couldn't make the time but i was really it's hoping that there Peacock would be right now, uh, yeah, i was yeah. really hoping there would be a really good regina hall movie because regina hall is amazing if you've never seen the movie support the girls she should have been oscar nominated for that movie mm. She's amazing in that movie. That's just about her trying to run a sports bar for a day. And it is absolutely riveting. She's hilarious. She's real. She's incredible. Uh, it's, it's really, really great. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you something because uh, I was reading someone posting about how this movie, which is released in some theaters. Yeah, it got a limited release. Apparently, there was at least one church group. Uh-huh. That didn't realize this was a satire of mega churches, uh-huh. and went to it en masse, thinking it was the latest religious movie. I know a lot of churches right. would do that. Oh, there's a new movie that's explicitly Christian, made by and for Christians that support uh-huh. Christian ideology, and they buy up a lot of tickets and they all go as a group. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's they make it for a demographic that makes a lot of sense. But apparently, they were not happy <laughs> with the movie they got. Yeah. Being so critical of the church. Yeah. I wonder if that's part of it. I wonder if they're trying to trick you. Uh, I, I, 
Maybe. Maybe they're tra- trying to lure church groups in just so they can yeah. kind of gently hold up a little yeah. little bits of hypocrisy in front of them. Well, because but... it's hard to, like, if you're going to make, like, a satire of something like the church, hmm. that's something that people in the church probably won't go see. Yeah. So it's, you you, you run the, ironically, you're going to end up preaching to the choir, just not the actual choir. Yeah. Because you're probably only going to be viewed by people who already think the church has is worthy of yeah. criticism. I think if that's the case, then surely they would turn to the camera and be a little bit more obvious about it and say a little bit more uh, strident, pointed things about the hypocrisies of the church. I mean, maybe I didn't see it, but maybe mm. by not doing that, you're you're getting people to stick around longer. I guess so. Other than just rejecting it outright and leaving mm. or walking out of the theater or turning, some, turning off Peacock and watching <laughs> Netflix and Bridgerton. <laughs> Watch something on Netflix instead. Yeah. Watch something on Ovid. Find something on Ovid. You'll probably oh, have oh, better, better luck. Ovid. Anyway. Uh, great, what can I say? It's a great streamer here. Not there, a sponsor. There, no. There's one last uh, movie we're reviewing this week. You saw it. I didn't. Mm. Sorry, everyone. It's a Whitney. It's, it, sometimes our episodes are like loaded one side or the other. where people saw yeah. more movies. This is a Whitney episode. Tell me about Burial, which sounds like something I'm actually not all that interested in. So I'm curious how it turned out. <laughs> it's not a subject uh, I'm going, ooh, let's watch that. Uh, it, well, like, it's not a fun premise, but it is an interesting one. Uh, it takes place uh, on, on in the final days of World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, is, this, is, this a, is this a narrative feature or a documentary? It's a narrative feature. Okay. Uh, and, and it's fictional. Uh, this isn't real history, but it's about a group of Russian soldiers mm-hmm. who discovered Adolf Hitler's body in his bunker after he had, uh, after he had killed himself. Mm-hmm. And they are uh, tasked with scooping up the remains, putting them in a coffin... And because, you know, it's various uh, logistical things, they can't fly, they have to drive, and they're going to drive uh, Hitler's remains across the countryside into Moscow and present them to Stalin. Okay. (laughs) Now, uh, because of, you know, this is sort of a secret mission and nobody can know where the remains are, they drive across the countryside and it's very, very dangerous territory. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are still German soldiers out there Mm -hmm. and they have to bury the corpse every night. Every night? Every night. Every night they stop, they have to like dig a trench, they have to bury the coffin and they have to make sure nobody finds it. And uh, the German soldiers haven't gotten word that the war is over. And in fact... The the death of Adolf Hitler has only redoubled their efforts. Yeah. And uh, these soldiers were nicknamed werewolves. And there's a, a good hallucinatory sequence where people have inhaled some hallucinogens and they actually appear as werewolves in the woods mm. to them. So for a second you think, oh, this is just going to be a stupid monster film. No, it's just metaphorical. Yeah. Uh, and it, it turns into like vicious kind of hard twinged for much of it it's it's a lot more focused on the violence and the mayhem so like they have to uh, like fight off these soldiers yeah so there's okay so So it's an action movie so there's german soldiers on their tail and we get to see the german soldiers like we gotta get that get in there and we gotta get the remains the fact that the fascists have doubled down now that things are sort of on the losing edge for them feels a little timely yeah uh, they did. They just they, you, you, the inability to accept defeat is yeah, uh, uh, not a great feature of yeah. anyone, really. No, no nobody. No, no. Li- uh, nobody likes someone who can't accept defeat. Well, and this whole sort of like 
fighting for the lost cause or if, yeah. if we if we keep on plugging away we'll we'll win eventually yeah uh it's it's over it's over for for adolf hitler he's dead and in yeah. fact his corpse is on camera in this movie okay. he is re- he really is most assured, yeah. most assuredly dead okay uh, but the idea that the true believers can't let go and in fact are just becoming that much more viciously horrible in the wake of their loss uh, feels like the filmmakers are making a pretty important point. Now, they couldn't have predicted the state of modern America <laughs> when making this movie, but it does feel like they're well, making it, a I guess it comment. Depends. I guess it depends on how long. It's long enough ago they could have. I guess so. Um, like... Here in the United States, there's this uh, really dangerous sect of thinkers that are are still sort of pushing this narrative that uh, Donald Trump actually won his last election and everything is illegitimate. And they're really kind of doubling down on these efforts. No, we really got got to push back because all of Mm -hmm. this is wrong. The only way to save Uh, our democracy mm. is to not follow the will of the people Mm. and install the president who we like even though the majority though, of the yeah. Americans didn't, and there's literally no evidence to support otherwise. There's no evidence to support it, but they don't. it's not needed. It's the passion that's important. Exactly. And, yeah, it's what and they that, want. And that's that's yeah. what we're seeing here. It's a pretty pretty strong metaphor. And so I'm actually watching uh, watching this movie, and I'm, I'm getting a surprising amount of, a lot out of it. Uh, I feel like... This this is a film that is trying to say something about the nature of fascism and fascist thinking and how it really does infect the mind. Mm. Uh, so it's actually quite good. So it's not not really. Uh, it is quite good, okay. even even though I think it is. It's pretty mayhem forward. Mm. It's pretty dark. The characters don't really emerge as characters. There's not a, a whole lot to be said. Um, uh, there is uh, at least one. Um, I guess sort of like a celebrity cameo. Okay. Um, uh, uh, like partway through the movie, you get um, call me a Tasselhoff. Um, no, no, no. It's like like one recognizable actor. It's um, uh, what's his name? Tom Felton. Oh, from uh, 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 the Flash and uh, that that mm. one Wizard series. He was in the Wizard series uh, when he was a boy, but he's he's yeah. quite he's an accomplished actor. actor. He's a very good actor. Yeah. He was very, I, saw, I saw him in the Flash. He's very good in the Flash. Mm. Had a role in uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. There you, uh, there you go. Like, he, he was, he was like, in a, a really uh, really. It was kind of an okay. Um, mm adaptation of Therese Rakan. Uh, it was just called In Secret. Uh, and oh, yeah, he played yeah. sort of like this like sniveling, unworthy husband. He was like the husband who was like, built to be cheated upon. Yeah. Uh, he was very good in that movie. Uh, yeah, he, he shows up in this as well. And you know, it's, he, he's quite a good actor, so it's a delight that he's in here. Yeah, There's some interesting bookend material. It starts, uh, interestingly enough, in 1990 where one of the soldiers is now sort of living alone by herself. And wouldn't you know it in 1990, one of those German fascists, a child of one of those German fascists is still clinging on to it and is still going after her. And then it, that part of the story concludes at the end of the movie. Uh, I think it, it's difficult. It, like, like I said, it's difficult not to see this as timely. And uh, I wish it were better in terms of trying to establish a little bit more about who the characters are, what they're doing, how they feel about all of this, rather than be reliant on the violence and the mayhem. So I think the violence is going to push a lot of people out 
Um, yeah. This this wouldn't feel entirely out of place on some place like Shutter. Mm. Uh, See, it's a, but but yeah. I I since I like that kind of like dark violence, I think yeah. I was able to enjoy the violence as well as sort of the the more poignant uh, things that it, it was trying to say about. I, I regret not saying this because honestly, I don't know how I got my signals crossed, mm. and this is no one's fault but my own. But I could have sworn this was a documentary oh, about yeah. like well, oh here's what happened to Hitler after he died, and mm. I'm like don't care. That's not. For, I, I'm sure that's. In, I'm sure there brains. are anecdotes aplenty. Mm. I don't want to. I'm not interested. <laughs> I just. That's not for me. Yeah. I, I'll watch it and maybe I'll enjoy it. But if I have the option, I'm going to watch something else. And now that I, it actually sounds like really interesting and kind of like genre centric, and that's the kind of I can see the material working now, and that yeah. sounds kind of exciting. So. Um, thank you. I'm glad you watched it, and now I have okay. a reason to go check it out. Um, that is it for critically acclaimed this week. Let's review some movies on the critically acclaimed scale. Excuse me. We review films on a scale of C minus to C plus. A C minus is below average. That's not a particularly good movie. We we think that is not worth seeing. That is not worth like if you have the option, and we wouldn't recommend going out of your way to see that movie. We think it's a below average motion picture. Uh, a C is an average motion picture where everything's just kind of fine. Or maybe it's good and bad mixed together, but not really enough in one direction or another to be below average or above average. So most movies average out to a C. And of course, C plus is uh, above average. We recommend those movies. We think you should see those movies. We, we would recommend you do. And we think you would enjoy them. And they might be really good or they might just be like, Okay. Yeah. Yes, or maybe quite, they're amazing. <laughs> okay, we're good? All we're right. good. It's so hot right now. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to turning on the... We had to turn off the air conditioning to record. It would just yeah, be too yeah. noisy. So in a few minutes, the air conditioning will come on and I will become coherent again. Let's just wrap this up. Burial. Whitney. Uh, I, I give it a C+. I, okay. I, I really appreciated what, what this movie was doing. Um, I, I wish sort of the action and the character were a little bit better, mm. but uh, the comment is enough. Awesome. Honk for Jesus. Save your soul. Uh, it, it's it's a, a pretty weak film, but Regina Hall and Sterling K. Brown mm. really bring it up. So I'll give it a C. All right. Uh, me time. Uh, it would merely be generic. And that would have might have been enough for a C. I might have been like, eh, it's harmless. Yeah. But it's actually like such an insidiously ugly example of how Netflix doesn't just create a space for content it needs to infiltrate it and permeate it and transform it into something that isn't just generic but see, is actually like I, bad for you i feel like i need to see this just for like to see that in action it's, it's not as i'm making it telling it's in every scene and it's not but it's prominent enough throughout the film and spaced out enough throughout the film that you realize that i don't know if it was mandated I mean, I assume it was mandated. I assume Netflix said, we want you to put some Netflix stuff in there, please. Mm. That would be great for us. And then no one said no, or they felt like they had to. But yeah, it does. It's it just, it hurts. It hurts the movie. And it makes you feel kind of insulted to be watching it. Especially mm. considering it's an advertisement for a service you already own. That since you're it's already the, watching. It's the only way to watch Me Time. It's not in theaters. It's not on another service. Jeez. It's literally you already subscribe. You've got us, and you've got us to the extent that we're watching the shit. We're not even watching the. We're not even watching Bridgerton right now. You would never see Bridgerton saying like, "I don't know, Mister Chesterton. I was watching Me Time the other day, and I had a serious <laughs> thought about how talent shows should be run." 
You don't watch Bridgerton, do you? No, I watched I watched the pilot and wasn't into it. Oh, right. I, which is weird because normally costume stuff is my jam. I hear it gets better. Maybe it does. I just I never got back around to it. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. Uh, what do we got here? What's what's the next thing that was on the list? We got I can't uh, uh, was Gigi and Nate was the next one. Gigi, oh, see minus. This is terrible. Oh, bummer. Uh, just such such a apart from a cute monkey. Mm. It's just bland pab pablum. Yeah. It's just terrible. All right, uh, I came by uh, the new thriller from Babak Anvari. Uh, very close to a C plus. It's not okay. quite distinctive enough, I think, to warrant like an unabashed recommendation. But it is a very high C. If you enjoy thriller movies, uh, then you will probably enjoy watching it. But if you have a high bar for thrillers, it might not meet your standard of we have to run out and see this. But I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's definitely a well-produced, uh, pretty taut thriller. Right. Uh, let's see what we got here. The Invitation. Oh, the invitation is bad. It's definitely a C minus. Bummer. Just they could have been. They could have had so much fun with this. Yeah, I could have had so much fun with this. Yeah. Well, where's the fun? I, give I, give I me my vampire you. mayhem, damn it! I, I couldn't tell you, Whitney. Uh, okay, the uh, Samaritan. Uh, uh, like I said, I don't want to oversell it. I do yeah. like this movie a lot. I'm just going to give it a C, just because okay. it's not revolutionary. I think yeah. there's, you know, it's pretty predictable and, and simple but uh, I appreciate a lot of the ideas in it so I do recommend it there's really nothing wrong with it it's yeah. like it's it's again maybe you could get ahead of the storyline maybe you won't uh, that's kind of irrelevant because even if you're ahead of it it still works hmm. um, it's got a modest ambition but it hits it really really well everyone's really really good in it it's got some ideas on its mind I respect it a lot I agree it's not quite exciting enough either as an action movie or just as a concept really to warrant a C plus, but it's an incredibly high C and I think it's a, it's a superhero movie that I I miss having these done in one. We had a story to tell superhero stories Mm -hmm. that don't feel like they only mean something as part of a larger whole. This is a complete story. I appreciate that. I liked it. Some people will, other people will have a different standard. So I'm going to give it a very high C. Uh, and then, lastly, 3,000 Years of Longing. Oh, golly, I wish I could give this a C, a C plus, or even a C. Uh, it's, oh, it's a C bummer. minus film. I think it just sort of bummer. kind of falters uh, at some point. I just w- wish that it had... It didn't feel like... Uh, I don't mind when a film sort of stumbles over its own feet in service of an interesting idea. Yeah. If it's a little bit sloppy, as long as it's sort of like handling some fun stuff in there. But if it stumbles so much that it loses cohesion, or if it doesn't really get any kind of interesting point, then I'm going to be a little bit angry. Yeah. So, and that's how I feel about 3,000 Years of Longing. I feel like there was a lot of service in something that is either too simple mm. or not clear. Ah, that's disappointing. So, so yeah, a, re- a reluctant C-. minus. All right, well, anyway, that is it for Critically Acclaimed. We'll be back next week with reviews of Robert Zemeckis' Pinocchio. Did you know that was coming out? And if you did, did you know it was Robert Zemeckis? Because a lot of people don't. They're mentioning that. No, they're not. They're just dumping this thing. Like, it's really weird. Not encouraging, but who knows? If there's one thing I've learned is that studios don't always know what they have. And never count out Zemeckis entirely. He is not infallible, but he can surprise you. So we'll be reviewing Pinocchio. We'll be reviewing uh, the new Ben Foster like action movie medieval there's a new horror movie called barbarian coming out and we'll see what else we can get to as well 
Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, if you want to listen to our show without any ad breaks, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have the show ad-free. We also have a lot of exclusive shows, depending on what tier you're at. You can get one. You can get a bunch. We have a show called Step Me Up, Step Me Down, where we just started reviewing all of the films in the Step Up franchise. The reviews of our podcast have been really good so far. We've had people who said they had no interest in Step Up before, and now they're really into it. And that really excites me, and I love that. Uh, we've got our show Only the Best. We review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. And now... Best International Feature as well. We just started that series as well. We've got all our yesterdays. We're reviewing every single episode of Star Trek in order. We have Google... Uh, sorry, not Google Hangouts. We have Discord Hangouts uh, with our listeners. We have Trivia Nights. We have a ton of stuff over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Thank you to all of our patrons. Without you, we wouldn't exist. If you haven't checked it out already, uh, we also have our soap store back. It is a Soap of the Month Club uh, called Salt Cat Soap. It's at patreon.com slash salt cat soap it is u.s residents only but you can sign up to receive one handcrafted soap designed by my partner m lapis da silva and or myself and potentially if you sign up for the other tier another exciting uh surprise soap every single month <laughs> uh we're about to uh ship out the first batch uh so step on down we're also going to be having a, a poll to help us decide uh which scary themed soap we're going to have for the month of october so stick around because that poll will be up really really soon thank you to everybody who subscribed at salt cat soap patreon.com slash salt cat soap really appreciate it if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode we have so much to talk about you can email us our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net we might read your email on an upcoming episode of our podcast we've got mail whitney what is our p.o box yeah, send us an actual physical letter to p.o box 641565 los angeles california 90064 yeah and of course we're on twitter at critic acclaim i am at william bibiani i'm at whitney seibold and until next time never forget everyone's a critic I'm sorry, what?